Whoa, just like that? Episode 232. Yes. Or do you want to say it? Episode 232. See how great I do God, that? God, it sounds so much better coming out of your mouth. I'm a real natural. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. How's your bracket doing? Got a real mind for the business. Uh, <laughs> I think this should be called the How's Your Bracket Doing episode of Mitch Unfiltered. I mean, I weirdly picked all four Final Four teams. I don't know how the hell you I did. did that. I sure did. Yeah, you did. <laughs> There's some dickhead out there who doesn't know what he's doing, who just no. went out on a limb and said, I'll no. pick a seven, a nine, a four. F-A-U, UConn, <laughs> San Diego State, and Miami. Unreal. For those of you keeping track at home, two fives, a four, and a nine. Unreal. You don't even know where Florida Atlantic University is in the state of Florida. Don't say Florida. It's on the Atlantic. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Jeez. Do you know where? Yeah, I know where it is. You do? Oh, okay. Yeah, it's in Boca Raton, Florida. Oh, where the old you people You ever been are. to Boca? Yes. Yeah, no, I haven't. It's not 25 or 30 miles from the campus of the University of Miami. Do you realize? Is that close? Yeah. Oh, okay. Well, Boca Raton, Miami. Yeah. A couple of towns over. Okay, there you go, kid. A couple of towns north. <laughs> I would say, yeah, I would say, you know, 35. I'm not looking at my GPS, but probably 30 to 40 miles from Florida Atlantic University to Miami. Do you realize that both could win on Saturday and we could have a Florida Atlantic University Unreal. versus Miami National Championship game? <laughs> Where is it being held again? What Houston. In Houston. In Houston, Texas. Wow. That would be crazy. Honest to God, we went when I was down a couple of times ago. Yeah. My brother and I went to the Miami-Syracuse game on the campus in Coral Gables. Yeah, sure. Of the University of Miami. Oh, yeah. There were like 5,000 people there. The oh. place was two-thirds empty. Yeah. Nobody was there. This was the best, probably the best ACC team in the conference at the time. They were in the top 15 or top 20, and there was no one at the, <laughs> at the game between. The, there were more Syracuse fans than there were Miami fans. Yeah, no one, just no one gives a crap. Just hardly a basketball Miami. school. Yeah, University exactly. of Miami. There's yeah. things to do. Crazy. Places to go, people to see. I, I always thought it was kind of weird. The football program was always amazing. You'd think yeah. the basketball program would kind of be good. Want to do that with Washington? <laughs> Washington's football program is amazing? Well. I mean, Miami was, was going to national championships like every third year. So was Washington. Washington was great back in the yeah. day. How was their basketball team in those days? That's weird. Under Bob Bender or whoever it oh, was. Oh, don't forget Lynn Nance. Lynn don't Nance. Don't you sleep on Lynn Nance, fella. Now, you think about Alabama. It feels like their football program just sort of brought the basketball program up, right? Weren't they a number one seed this year, Alabama? Yes, they were. So you'd think yes, it would, so, but Miami that just doesn't was, work out. No. It never does, does no. it? But you'd think no. it would sort no. of. But More times than not. Nah, it doesn't, it doesn't work out. Work out yeah. No. But Florida Atlantic University is facing San Diego State <laughs> in the semifinal. You realize they're only two-point underdogs. It's like an NIT first-round game. When I saw the bracket and I saw that FAU was in the tournament and they were a nine seed, I was like, how is FAU a nine seed? I don't follow FAU basketball. Yeah. How is Florida Atlantic a nine seed? You would expect when you see FAU in, in the bracket that they're playing like in the 16 versus 16 <laughs> yeah. play-in game. Right, right. Or maybe they're a 12 or 11 or 13, a nine. I was like, how are they a nine? Yeah. They're in the final four. They're a two-point underdog against San Diego State. They're one to win away. Florida Atlantic University Unreal. from playing for the national championship <laughs> of college basketball. Now, I ask you, since the tournament went to 64 teams, who's the most obscure national champion? Obscure meaning the highest seed or? Well, it would be lowest seed. You yeah. mean lowest seed. Yeah, highest, highest seed would number. be number one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Highest number, right? You could do lowest seed. You want to know who the lowest seed to ever win a national championship since the 
the bracket went to 64 teams. Sure. How about Villanova in 1985 when they upset Georgetown? Was that here? No. It wasn't. I don't think it was here, no. Okay. Do you remember that Villanova team? Yeah, yeah. Raleigh Massimino. Yeah, sure. Georgetown was highly favored. They had Patrick Ewing and the crew. Yeah. And Villanova kind of, there was no shot clock, I don't think. And Did, they Didn't they, Villanova shoot like 92% from the like field? shot like 92% <laughs> from the field. Yeah. And they won. They were an eight seed, but at least it was still Villanova. Right, yeah, yeah. Right, still. This is Florida Atlantic <laughs> University. You can't get over Two it, wins it. away from winning the national championship of college basketball. Come on. It's crazy. This is the crazy. I, I, I know George Mason went to the Final Four. I know there have been higher seeds that go to the Final Four. But what I'm suggesting to you is that Florida Atlantic, yeah, they're in the Final Four, but they are a two-point underdog to San Diego State. That's like a toss-up game. Yeah. They could very well be playing on the Monday night national championship game. Unreal. It's crazy. I mean, how can anyone pick a bracket going forward? It's impossible. The receptionist always always wins. wins. Yeah, that's true. We had a segment. We had a contest. We did it every year. The receptionist always wins. If Florida Atlantic has, like, great colors that she likes, maybe she would have picked them at some point. Let me ask you this. If If I had gone into... The Mirage Sportsbook, the Bellagio Sportsbook, the MGM Grand Sportsbook. Mm -hmm. Before this tournament started, after the brackets were released, and I went up to the guy that's in charge of the whole thing and said, I want want to create a bet. I want to tell you what I want to bet, and you give me the odds on this. It's not up on one of your boards. This is a homemade bet. That's how that works. Okay? Okay? Yeah. And Rocco says to me, what what, what do you want? Yeah. What do you need? We'll take your action, And I said, here's what I want to bet, Rocco. You tell me what odds I get you're going to give me on this. I'd like to bet that the final four of this tournament right here Mm -hmm. will not have Alabama, Houston, Kansas, Purdue, Arizona, UCLA, Gonzaga, and Texas. None of them (laughs) will make the Final Four. And if any one of them make the Final Four, I lose. So what kind of odds are you going to give me, Rocco? I'm going to give you 100 to 1. 100 to 1? Yes. No? You better give me 100,000 to 1, (laughs) Rocco. This is Vegas, sir. We don't just give money away. Alabama, Houston, Kansas, Purdue, Arizona, UCLA, Gonzaga, Texas. None of them are going to make the Final Four. It's insane. I know. It's crazy. Ridiculous. I mean, do you like this or no? Or do you care? <sighs> That's a great question. Thank you. See, I am the Why don't you answer it first? I, I actually have an answer to that. Why don't you answer it first? I, I usually root for chaos. I think it's great. I, I love it. I think it's cool. Because when you see a team like what Florida Atlantic, you always think to yourself, ah, it's cool they made it. it you know, it's going to be one and done, two and done. They don't really have a chance. So you like this? I think it's great. I think teams that... It makes you feel like really everyone does have okay. a chance these days. That's a fair That's a fair opinion. Oh, thank you. I'm going to call you on Saturday night. I don't know where you're going to be this coming Saturday night. Okay. After the games, the national championship semifinals are played. Okay. I'm going to call you at like midnight, or I'm going to text you at like midnight. I'm going to say, do you still feel the same way? Hmm. Because I love chaos also in the first two rounds. Okay. I love the underdog story. I love the first round upsets. I love the 16 over the one or the 15 over the two, unless it's my alma mater. Yeah. I love all of that, the underdog. But as I get to the final four, I would prefer great teams, maybe one underdog and three great teams in the final four. I just think it makes for more. Like I'm not, if you're saying to me, how excited are you for Saturday? 
with FAU and San Diego State in the first game and Miami against UConn in the second game. How excited are you? I'm excited because it's the semifinals of the national championship, but I think I would be more excited if it were like Houston versus Kansas and one or Arizona was in there. Gonzaga or Alabama. Yeah. Not Gonzaga. Alabama. <laughs> I, I think I would be much more excited if there were really great, great teams playing in the semifinals. It's a little dismissive so I like to both. say that these aren't great teams, though. Who's to say these aren't great teams? Who makes that determination? Me. Because they're there. Alabama's yeah. not. Purdue's not. This tournament is so exciting, but there's a reason why the NBA and the NHL and Major League Baseball play series in the playoffs. Why doesn't the NBA just play a one-and-done, yeah. you know, 16-team tournament and just one-and-done <laughs> on a neutral floor? Yeah. Why don't they do that? Because the commissioner would say, or whoever the commissioner was at the time would say, because that doesn't identify the best team. Yeah. Anyone can beat anyone on any given of night. Of course. Yeah, yeah. So we've got to play. If we want to make sure that we're crowning the NBA champion and they are the team that's playing the best and the best team at the time, we've got to play series as, as, as over the course of many weeks and months, right? But doesn't that usually work itself out, though? I mean, typically you don't have this in the Final Four. Typically there's a two and a one. I mean, typically yeah. it works itself out. This seems a little More unusual. times than not, it yeah. does. Yeah, yeah. It does. But this does not identify the best team in the country. I'll tell you right now, UConn is playing lights out great, even though they got a really easy game in the Elite Eight. They got really fortunate with the oh opponent. That they, they got a cupcake They city. got a cupcake in, oh the, in the Elite Eight. Yeah. They got really lucky. That's right. They didn't have to show up to the gym to play that No, team. they didn't. You and yeah. I could have finished out the last half. and Easy. Easy. We yeah, could have yeah. probably done the whole game. We didn't have to right. finish out the last half. But UConn's playing great. And they were at one time this year the number one ranked team of the country. So if they end up cutting down the nets on Monday night, I'll go along with, okay, UConn might just be the best team in the nation. But come on, the other the other three teams? But they, they got there, though. It's, it feels like you're being very dismissive of them. No. They, they won games. They, 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 I get it. They slayed, who is it, Goliath? Yes. They slayed the Goliath. Yes. yes. Yes, they did. With their slingshot. They did. You got to give them some credit at some no, point. No, I give them credit. I'm just saying it doesn't identify the best team in the country. The only thing that would identify the best team in the country is a format where you would play multiple games in series. Okay. That would be the only way. That's why the NBA, the NHL, and Major League Baseball do it. Yeah. It's not one game. But I'm not saying that this isn't a great product. I love it. Yeah. Who doesn't love the NCAA tournament? Who loves the NCAA tournament more than I do? Right. I love the NCAA. I'm just saying... Do I like chaos? Yes, in the early rounds. But once we get to the Final Four, I like to see the most powerful, great teams in the country in the Final Four. One of the more annoying things about college football is that the, the rich sort of stay richer, it feels like. It's yes. Alabama and you Clemson. Yes. This might it might not be that way in, in NCAA basketball going forward, right? I mean, maybe San Diego State will land some huge recruit instead of North Carolina like every single year. So maybe it'll help this will help. Well, the transfer portal the, product. the yeah. transfer portal is where it's at. That's true. Yeah. You know, people say Mike Hopkins ought to be fired. Mike Hopkins ought to be fired, and maybe he should have been, and maybe the reason that he wasn't fired only was that buyout, that six point something million dollar buyout that they would have had to given him to fire him. Yeah. But even so, even with Mike Hopkins needing to be fired, Mike Hopkins could work the transfer portal this year. I'm not saying he will. Yeah. And pick up two or three guys from other programs 
that were dissatisfied. They could come to Washington. He could put them with two or three of these guys that are staying on the team that were constructive players and all of a sudden be in the NCAA tournament. And then once you're in the NCAA tournament, as FAU is showing you and San Diego State is showing you, a Washington team with a bunch of transfers that gets into the NCAA tournament and gets hot or teams get knocked off in their path, Washington could be in the Sweet 16 or the Elite Eight. Yeah. So the transfer portal is evening college basketball because these kids go into the transfer portal knowing that they can play right away. In the old days, you had to sit out a year. Yeah, yeah. And that was that would deter guys from going into the tran or transferring to another school. Yeah. It's all different now. A kid goes to Kentucky. I mean, think about all all these kids. The the guy that's playing at Washington this year, their best player came from Kentucky. Right. All these guys go play for John Calipari, and then he, yeah. and he tells every they're all McDonald's All Americans. <laughs> right. He can only play seven of them, and then whoever's number eight or nine is pissed off because he's a McDonald's All American playing eleven minutes. He goes into the portal. Oh, Washington wants. Oh, I'll go out and play University. I'll of Washington. play every minute there. What, and, whatever, yeah. and then he's in the NCAA tournament. Yeah, that's that's the change. That's the you difference. You should coach Washington. It sounds like you got it figured out. Just go in the portal and grab all these. You wouldn't guys have and... to give me a six point something million dollar contract buyout. <laughs> Wait, hey, that's, that's when's that going to happen in my life? Or somebody just pays me not to go to work? Pay you to go away? <laughs> oh my god, it's my dream. Mitch Unfiltered available on all podcast platforms. Subscribe and rate us, please, on Apple. We need some new reviews, five star ratings, bonus shows every week. The Mariners No Table, The Kraken No Table, Danny O'Neill, Slickhawk, become a Mitch Unfiltered patron at $5 a month. If the $5 is a problem for you, just write me, Mitch at MitchUnfiltered.com. Let me tell you about the guests on this episode, 232, please. Yep. We have two No Tables and a Mr. Basketball from the state of Washington. Really? Mr. Basketball? Mr. Basketball. You know what Mr. Basketball is from I the state of Washington? I would assume the greatest high school player during the that year. The yeah. top senior basketball player in the state. All 50 states participate. There's one Mr. Basketball and Mrs. Basketball, Ms. Basketball, yeah. in every state. And you have one on this? I have the Mr. Basketball from the state of Washington on this podcast. From this this current one? This current one. Just oh, named. Okay. Just recently oh, named. Oh, wow. Great. Yeah. Yeah. I thought you were going to say from like 1989 or something. He's on. He's your neighbor. His name is Brooklyn Hicks. Okay. Ask me where he's going, Mr. Basketball from the state of oh, Washington. Oh, I mean, if he's from Washington, he must be going to the University of Washington because they get all the top recruits in this state. He's going to play for Jerry Tarkanian. Really? Yes. <laughs> where? Where's Tarkanian at? He's dead. Uh, UNLV. <laughs> I was like, he's not still alive, is he? <laughs> God. Still chomping on the towel. That's right. He's going to UNLV. Okay. Going to UNLV. Still a good program, I yeah, assume. Yeah. yeah. Good for him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mr. Basketball. Mr. Basketball from the state of Washington is on this episode, but he's uh, guest number three. The first two guest segments are no tables. Okay. We've got the Mariners no table with Jason and Joe, and then we've got the first ever Kraken no table. Oh. What I'm doing is I am putting these no tables on the free show this week, and then we're migrating them during the rest of the season over to the Patreon, trying to encourage patronage. Gotcha, yes, yes. yes. So this will be the last Mariners no table on the free show. We'll go over to the patron show, and it'll be a weekly show for patrons nice. at $5 a month. And this will be the first ever crack in no table that we will move ultimately to the patron shows as well. On the Mariner one, is there a Kelnick watch? Yes. We, there is, okay. Yes. Are, are, are we still doing that? Yes. I'm uh, trying not to name them, though. I don't, I don't 
Oh, you, oh I just screwed it up. Okay. The left fielder. I just call him the left fielder. Gotcha. Yeah. Oh, is definitely. it for sure that he's going to be the left fielder? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's a done deal. Opening day left fielder. Wow. Shane Bieber this Thursday. It's opening day in Major League Baseball. It sure is. Yes. Yes, it is. Can't wait. Now, the Kraken note table will have R.J. Eskinos and Darren Brown, and it's a pretty emotional thing. I don't know if you've been following it. The guy that's been an incredible source for us here on Mitch Unfiltered, who was supposed to be the centerpiece of the crack and no table. We were putting it together just last week. Uh-huh. Collapsed, had a stroke at the Kraken uh, game. Andy Ide is his name. Yeah. Last Saturday night, not this past Saturday, but last Saturday night, literally had a stroke at the Kraken game. Thank God paramedics got to him quickly, saved his life. Incredible. And he's in uh, intensive care and making slow improvements, but he's got a, a long haul ahead of him. Hopefully, he's going to survive this. Yeah. Andy Ide was supposed to be the centerpiece, as I said, of the crack and no table. He wow. was helping me put it together. And now we'll have some people that are sitting in for him, and we'll talk a little bit about him and his recovery on the crack and no table. That is a pretty emotional start to the round table. That's incredible. Just awful. Yeah. But I did it see looks that on like Twitter. he's going to survive it. Great. Looks like he's going to survive it. So, Mariners no table, crack and no table, and Brooklyn Hicks. From Timberline High School oh, in Lacey, sure. Washington, Mr. Basketball, <laughs> 2022. What what year did Isaiah Thomas win Mr. Basketball in the state of Washington? 2004. Incorrect. He never won it. What year did Jamal <laughs> Crawford win Mr. Basketball in the state of Washington? 97. <laughs> Incorrect. He, he never, never won, won it. it. What year did Quinn Snyder win Mr. Basketball? Oh, he definitely won it. 1987. Never won Jeez. it. What year did Martell Webster win oh. Mr. Basketball? Done deal. 2002. He never won it. Who are these guys that are beating out? I mean, <laughs> where the hell are these Mr. Basketballs? That's amazing. You'll find out if you listen to the interview All right. with Brooklyn Hicks. Episode 232 doesn't happen without our partners like the Woodenville office of cross country mortgage. It seems like every day we hear about high interest rates and difficulty getting home loans. Jordan flowers team is very aggressive and creative can get you packages better than most. If you're buying a home, a second home, an investment piece, four, two, five, eight, nine, Oh, two, nine, five, seven, Jordan flowers, four, two, five, eight, nine, Oh, two, nine, Five seven. Daniels Broiler, while we await an improbable Final Four, Lindsey Schwartz will identify his Daniels top seeds here. Appetizer region, steak region, seafood region, even the dessert region. Four locations all open, ready to host your special occasion. You gotta love Daniels Broiler, a world-class steakhouse. Evergreen Golf Call, tax advisors, certified financial planners, experienced portfolio managers working together to bring retirement planning, taxes, and investments under one roof. EvergreenGK.com, more than just a financial advisor, Evergreen is everything wealth. Zeke's Pizza, celebrating the new app and the NCAA tournament, $10 off of every order, pickup, and delivery all through Championship Monday night. All you need to do is order on the app with the code HOOPS10, H-O-O-P-S-1-0, any location, Zeke's Pizza, homegrown in the Northwest. John Waterstrat, Fireside Home Solutions, the title sponsor for virtually every fun contest and promotion that we run. Beat the boys during the NFL season. And before you know it, our master's pool will be here. Start your search for a brand new fireplace unit 
at firesidehomesolutions.com. This is episode 232, and it begins right now. Unfiltered. I was into the WBC because I felt prodded by these Venezuelan people. Good. To get into the, and there, and then I watched a little semifinal, a lot of the final, and here I am speaking to you with puffery involved, and I I feel like may, maybe I'm in. Maybe I'm in on the WBC. Unfiltered. You would think that like once every four or five years, you and I would get on here and say, ah, it wasn't that good this year. Eh, the first four days it was kind of anticlimactic it wasn't that good I, I don't ever remember getting on the radio or getting on the podcast and saying anything of the sort of the first four days of the NCAA tournament Mitch is unfiltered and now episode 232 is officially underway with hot dogs Yes, sir. I did not win Mr. Basketball. If you were curious, <laughs> at 5'10 and 3 quarters at Issaquah High School. Really? 5'10 and 3 quarters? At the height of my powers. I think I've shrunk. I think I'm probably like Who's five. taller, you or Russell Wilson? Uh, me. It's very close. It's very close, yeah. Very, very close. I got measured at Wazoo Camp my junior year in high school. I was 5'10 and 3 quarters. I really wanted to be six foot, but... I think he went 5'10 and 5'8s, but he has very big hands. Well... I'm kind of in that camp too. I think. Really? Yeah, I've measured mine. They're they're pretty Come big. Come on, they're not as big as Russell. Maybe Wilson. not as big as Russell, but no, they're no, pretty no, damn no, big no. for five ten. No. Nobody's got hands as big as Russell Wilson. <laughs> Nobody. Not even Kareem. He can fit a lot of money from the Denver Broncos in those hands. <laughs> yes, he can. He can he can grab money with the best of them. Do you think we're gonna hear that he's in the best shape of his life this year? Yes. And we're gonna hear the whole routine. Yes. Comeback player of the year. Yes. Okay, can't wait. Lots of stuff happening in the world of sports. We've got the final four is set. We talked a little bit about that in our. Warm-up segment, you've got two fives, a four, and a nine. <sighs> no ones, no twos, and no threes in the final four of college basketball. The only good thing about this is for people whose champion got knocked out early, you thought, well, I'm done. Well, now everybody might kind of be in it because no one's champion's alive, right? Yeah. Essentially, unless right. you had San Diego State winning at all. Nobody's which... champion is alive. Right, so you might kind of be back in it a little bit. There might be a couple of people here and there in the world that had UConn. UConn, yeah. Because they were good at one point. As I said, at one point of the year, they were number one in the country. Early on in the season, like non-conference huh. season, yeah. before they got to the Big East Conference uh, play, they were number one in the country. So there might have been people that remember that like them. Yeah. But other than that, no way. No way. By the way, that game, that and, Villanova-Georgetown yeah. game was in Lexington, Kentucky. Lexington, Kentucky. Why did I think Georgetown won it or... Well, they played here. In 84, maybe? They played here. In Seattle? Maybe the Houston? Did they play Houston? I don't know. Yeah, I don't know either. No. By the way, it was setting up perfectly for Houston. The Final Four is in Houston. Like, it's perfect. I told the whole story, yes. And Texas. How about the University yeah, of right. Texas? Yeah, right, yeah. They were on the doorstep. Unbelievable. Yeah. Should we talk about Gonzaga not making it? Should we giggle? Should we laugh? Should we give him credit for making it all the way to the Elite Eight with not his best team? What should we do with Gonzaga on this episode 232? People are getting tired of my antics. Yeah, people get pissed off on Twitter. It's a very sensitive subject with a lot of people. It is. Yeah. It's weird. This whole Mark Few thing brings up a lot of emotion. People do not like <laughs> that people do not like... <laughs> Gonzaga's basketball program. Again, for me, per I can't speak for you, but... Oh, I can. It's, <laughs> it's just that I was always told that I need to love them because I live in this state. 
People are like, they're, they're outraged that I don't just automatically root for Gonzaga. Like, but I don't root for Wazoo either. I grew up in Issaquah near Seattle. I've been a Husky fan. My, why, why do I have to root for them? So that's the reason? That's where I come from. So I don't need people telling me I have to love them and root for them. So that's, that's the you. reason. For me, that's the big one. Yeah. So now I, now I just revel in. Oh. I, I, the team I root for isn't even close to the Final Four. but I got on a plane on Saturday afternoon, Saturday evening, Fort Lauderdale time. Fort Lauderdale to Seattle. Not a short trip, by the way. Oh, can you stay home on one weekend? Holy cow. No, I, Fort weekend. Lauderdale to Seattle this past Saturday. Got yeah. on the plane. Seven-hour plane ride. Six-and-a-half-hour plane ride. And the person at the, at the front of the plane when I was getting on said, Sir, you look nervous. And I said, yeah, Gonzaga's one win away. <laughs> and I'm getting on an effing play. Right. I'm worried. Oh, gosh. And the guy said to me, don't worry. UConn's going to take care of him. Really? You're going to be fine. Really? No. Oh. None, none of this happened. <laughs> but I did sit in my window seat, 27A. Yes. In the back of the plane with my internet connected at $8 for the full flight internet. 27A, are you right by the old turlet back there? <laughs> Archie, oh Archie Bunker was flushing away. <laughs> Jesus. Remember how you could hear Archie Bunker's toilet every yeah, time they flushed course. the Yeah, yeah, yeah. Part of the fun. Um, 27A, and I was frantically refreshing. Oh, you, were, you couldn't stream it anywhere? You couldn't find it? I didn't, well, they, you can't really, it's not fast enough to stream. The internet's not, the Wi-Fi's not fast They claim they have one that's just for like checking email, like the one you bought, but then they claim they have a faster no, one on some of them. No, there's no faster There's one. no fast. That, not that on this it. one. Not okay. on this trip. There wasn't live TV on the screen? No, this what is Alaska you, Spirit Air, Air here? <laughs> what the hell are you flying? I was on Alaska Airlines. Wow. Just sweating bullets over the idea that Mark Few, while I'm not watching, <laughs> yeah. is going to take the worst team that he's had in like seven years because that's why they're going to win it right no one's keeping an eye on him and he was going to take him all the way to the championship to the final four and i was really concerned and then i saw the second half start to unfold man i still have not seen any of that game but uh pleased with the results nothing to see nothing to nothing see. to really see it was a kill huh it was a beating i watched the second half in a restaurant and it just it was like 12 and wait is it 20 now wait a minute it's 25 30 yeah 32 like i couldn't yeah. believe what i, I was heard seeing. that they shot like 14 percent in the first 10 minutes of the second half that's not going to win you many games. no it won't and, and uconn was pretty hot as well it was just kind of a a confluence of things going on just not their day should we give them credit or do you not want me to give them credit because it's a hell of a job. I mean, it, the weasel, and I, I do not like, everybody knows, I do not like Mark Few. But for so many reasons, yeah. okay? I've got plenty of reasons <laughs> yeah. not to like Mark Few. But he's a hell of a coach. I don't know how he's getting these guys into the program. And you're even going to get a little sick. You're going to throw up in your mouth if you listen to Mr. Basketball in guest segment number three of this episode 232, Brooklyn Hicks, because I think I told you, I, I don't know if we've talked about Zoom Diallo. Do you know who Zoom Diallo is? Yeah, it sounds familiar. So he's the point guard of Curtis. Yes, yes, yes. Junior yeah. point guard. You went guard. and watched him, I, I think. I went and watched yeah. him. He's considered one of the top 10 players in America in oh, the class wow. of 20. He will be Mr. Basketball next year okay. in the state of Washington. He's a junior. He won the state tournament. He plays at Curtis. He's like a 6'4 or 6'5 point guard. Crazy. He just looks he just looks the part. He could go anywhere in the country, and you are going to throw up in your oh, mouth no. when I ask Brooklyn Hicks where he thinks his buddy Zoom is going to go. I think we sort of discussed this. Have we? Yes, because you said the other side of the state, and I said, Wazoo got him? 
Oh, yes, I did. I'm so dumb. I don't even think of Gonzaga beating the state of Washington. <laughs> How did Wazoo get this guy? Holy crap. What a job by them. No. Yeah, that's yeah. not good. He, he claims Brooklyn does. Look, I, I know him well. I've played against him since I was a kid. I don't have any inside info on this. This is just a pure guess. Yeah. So I told Brooklyn how wrong I hope he is. How uh, wrong I hope he is. Yeah. But it's hard to blame anyway. kids. I mean, they're in the final eight and they're God. good every year. And he turns Timma, whatever, Timmy into a, what's he going to be like? Second team, third team All American? Yeah. Like, well, when you're 42. Well, sure, that does help. But you played enough. Right. But enough's enough with Drew Timmy. not the most athletic fellow in the no. world. And he manages no. to drop 38 on people. Like, it's incredible. It's really annoying. The Gonzaga success is yeah. is just he is getting it's this is no longer where he's winning with like under the radar guys right because you can't get a McDonald's All American to go to Gonzaga now he's getting McDonald's he's getting some of the greatest players not only in the country but in the world to come to Spokane Washington and play yeah how insufferable is that <laughs> where what pick was Holmgren in the NBA draft oh I don't know but he was the number one player in high school. But when he came literally out of the number one player in high school Jesus. and the guy right before him from Minneapolis the year before, I can't remember the guard, yeah, Suggs, the guard. I think his Suggs, name was. Yeah, yeah. He was top five or seven Unreal. in the country. Yeah. These guys are saying <laughs> no to Duke and Kentucky to go to Spokane, Washington <laughs> to play for a weasel. Yeah. <laughs> and people ask me, why do you hate Gonzaga so much? Yeah. Because kids are passing on Louisville and Kentucky and Michigan State to go to Spokane and play for the Weasel. That pisses me off. That's probably how people felt when Duke started getting good and getting all these players like, Duke? Duke? Who yeah. What the hell is this program? Guys from Chicago are saying no to Syracuse University yeah. so they can go to play in Spokane, Washington. <laughs> That's right. And you're asking me why I hate the Weasel in well, that program? I grew up a Husky fan. Imagine how I feel. We get none of the, They don't even sniff the University oh, of Washington. It's not even top 10 on their yeah. list. Yeah. That's why it's so annoying to me as well. God. Yeah, no, you have to give them credit as hard as I it guess is. you do. They did a good job this year. They sure did. They yeah. got to the Elite Eight. And look, if they run into probably anybody but UConn. Yeah, right, right. They're probably in the Final Four, and now this week is just disgusting it's for gut, me. gut having to wait. Oh, yeah, having worst. to wait for that. Thank God they took that off my shoulders. Now I can just get on with the semifinals and opening day in Major League Baseball on Thursday. Let's go. We're back. I was thinking as I was taking that long journey across the country mm -hmm. on Saturday night. When was the last time that Mariners fans were this excited for opening day yeah. Major League Baseball season? And the other thing that I was wondering, is it my imagination or do the Mariners almost always start the season? It's such a buzzkill on the road. Yeah, it does I, and, feel and, that way. And I think the Mariners as an organization actually fill out a survey from Major League Baseball. You get a choice of what you want. And they always say, ah, we'll start on the road. We'll start on the road. <laughs> this year, they're starting at home. Oh. Thursday night, the Cleveland Indians or the Cleveland Guardians. Sorry, yes. they're not the Indians anymore. No, no, no. Shane Bieber against Luis Castillo. Oh. And people in Seattle are just... People, yeah. Mariner fans around the country are going crazy. And I was trying to think, you know, in 1995, when they made that magical run and got all the way to the Yankee series, and... Edgar Martinez had the double that scored Griffey from first. When Niehaus called it, they would love a, what do you say? They would love a line drive into the gap. They could win it with junior speed, the stretch. <laughs> I think he it was, and I think it was, it. and I think it was Brent Musburger on the national on TV, TV yes, call. Yes, that's yeah. right. Yep, yep. Yeah. And Griffey, he's coming around. Yep. Remember Musburger? Oh, the best. Um, remember that 
Alex Rodriguez was a rookie on that team. He was up next. And we didn't want any part of that. No. He was hitting about a buck seventy five or two ten. He was eighteen. He was yeah. literally eighteen. And, and we were Maybe like nineteen. And people were like, Well, he's their number one pick, but he's more of a defensive guy. He's not <laughs> he can't hit. <laughs> right. He can't and he's hit. on deck and we've got it's like either Edgar comes through or we're we're done. Right. We're finished. This guy ain't getting it. Look no. at him. He's a string bean for God's he sake. He was. And yeah. he can't hit a ball. He can't, and, he'll, and he'll never be able to hit a ball. That's right. <laughs> he can barely beat out Felix for mean for but God's he, sake. But he did a hell of a job welcoming in Ken Griffey. <laughs> He's one of the all-time great celebrators. <laughs> Yeah, with his hands up <laughs> oh. and his legs wide. He was happy he just didn't have to go up to bat. But when I, I bring that up because, you know, think about how exciting. That was my first year in Seattle, the 95 baseball season. So I would imagine going into 96 with Randy Johnson, Ken Griffey Jr., Edgar Martinez. Jay Buhner. Tino Mateo, Jay Buhner. Yep. Alex Rodriguez now in his first real, real season. Right. They had just gotten to the Yankees series, first time ever in the play. I would imagine, can't remember as I sit here, we were pretty damn excited for yeah. opening day in 1996. Yeah, it wasn't like Cleveland kicked their ass and swept them. I mean, didn't they? Uh, well, they played them kind of tough. I mean, the Mariners won the first game, I think, with Bob Walcott on the hill. Look at you. Right? With Look the, at you. With the sweat coming out of his hat. Hot shot. Yeah, I used to watch sports one day at one point in my life. <laughs> but I mean, what you know? yeah, you felt like, okay, they're maybe a player away or... Yeah, and I know. they had all of these great, great hitters that were all like MVP oh. candidates, and they had the best left left-handed pitcher in the world. Yep. and they well, we didn't know it at the time, but they had the upcoming superstar rookie, now second-year player. Oh. We must have been very excited. Yeah, and then you go, you go fast forward to 2002. So 2001, they win 116 games, still the record. They don't get to the championship, but they're just. We're coming off of 106. Now, they don't have all those guys anymore. Yeah, but they had new ones. Like, they had Ichiro was his first year, right? Ichiro's first year. Freddie Garcia. Booney had a big year. Brett Boone, I think, had a, an MVP type of season. You yeah. had Mike Cameron. And so, you know, that yeah, over, yeah, yeah. you had like eight All-Stars in the All-Star game that was played, by the way, in Seattle. Interesting. Yeah. So, 2002 comes aboard. Again, I can't remember as I'm sitting here, but we must have been good and excited. Right about the Mariners coming off of a 116-game winning season, right? You'd think, yeah. But this, man, this feels... Now, it's present, it's now, it's today, and everything is a lot more exciting when it's right now than you can remember. Right. It's a little muted in your memory, but this is... This is pretty exciting. I mean, this feels like you could have the best staff in baseball. Have the Mariners ever said that in the history of their franchise? I'll give you a hint to underscore what you just said. In the upcoming segment, which is next, the Mariners' no table, where I have Jason and Joe, mm -hmm. I ask them to rank at the end of the season who had the first, second, third, and fourth best years in their rotation, in order. And the two of them kind of on Zoom, I watched it, were like, oh, my God. <laughs> How do you answer that question? Ranking the four guys that you're talking about. Yeah. Luis Castillo, George Kirby, Logan Gilbert. Yeah. Robbie Ray, you've got four guys right there. And uh, before you laugh at Robbie Ray after last year, the guy was nasty in spring training this year. I mean, he's, he looks like he's back on track. He's added a pitch. <sighs> he looks to to sit down and try to rank which what's going to be the rotate. What's going to yeah. be the best? Who's going to be the best of the four, second, third, and fourth? It's pretty hard to do. It's amazing. Speaks to the issue of how how damn good they are on the hill. I mean, let Robbie Ray 
kind of find the way he was when he won the Cy Young. I mean, forget it, right? Please. Forget it. Like, Wouldn't it's that be something? Unbelievable. And if Kelnick can pop a bit, I mean, yeah. And oh, by the way, Julio Rodriguez, yeah, right. just... all he's doing is batting about 430 in the spring. <laughs> That's it, huh? That's it. With a with an OPS of about 1140, I think it was, last time I checked. Wow. Yeah. Very exciting. Thursday, opening day is upon us. Of the Major League Baseball. You forget about a guy like Cal Raleigh. Just came out of nowhere. Just, Nobody's going to forget about him. He's going to he's going to hit fifth or sixth in the lineup. He's going to hit for power. Uh, They've got Teoscar Hernandez now from the Blue Jays, who had two home runs in the last game that he played against the Mariners in the playoffs. Yeah, he's going to clean up. Don't forget about Suarez. I mean, it's the just, second baseman. They got I can't remember his name. A Colton Wong. Colton that's Wong. Right. Yeah. yeah. God, I know. Let's and if go. and as you say, if if the left fielder is as good as he's been, or Anything close if to... If he's half as good, right? Would you take half of his oh, yes. stats? <laughs> all day yes. long, right? Yes. That's crazy. That's all we're hoping for. Yes. It's... Yeah. It's exciting. Very, very exciting. Yep. Very, very exciting. So, I'm a little concerned about the pen. I'm going to just be honest with you, but everybody okay. tells me don't be concerned about the pen because Jerry DePoto is a whiz, is a master when it comes to building a bullpen. Okay. I'm a little... A wee bit worried about the pen. Seawalt seems like a shot fighter to me. Munoz only pitched two innings or three innings coming out of, of an injury-plagued offseason. Brash is uh, has giant upside, but sometimes has trouble finding the strike zone. I don't yeah. know. I, I worry a little bit early in the season about their bullpen, but other than that, they should be great. I hope they score enough runs. I hope they didn't need a shortstop in the free agency period. Yeah, here we go. This is good. this is the Mitch Levy we love. Find out all the all the negativity about a team. No, no, no. People I, couldn't I, be I, more excited. I'm, I'm, I'm telling you, I'm excited for Seattle Mariners baseball. Okay, good. Okay, three interviews. Seattle Mariners uh, no table, Kraken no table, and then Mr. Basketball from the state of Washington, Brooklyn Hicks, on this episode two thirty two. My man, Jay Flo, Jordan Flowers. He runs the Woodenville office of Cross Country Mortgage. He's a jet setter, too. Lego land with the family. A Cavaliers game in Cleveland with Cross Country Mortgage. I hope you don't forget your mediocre friends here in Seattle, Jordan. Never, never. All the jet setting, it's just puffery, Mitch. Just puffery. Oh, very good, Jordan. Very good. Danny O'Neill will be very impressed. Good time to be a buyer in the Pacific Northwest, true or false? False. Absolutely true. Great time to be a buyer right now. Uh, buyers are not having to get into a lot of multiple offer situations and escalate like they were a year ago. Huh? They're coming to reasonable agreements with sellers, not having to waive all their conditions just to get considered. And they're able to get a lot of credits to help pay for closing costs or even take advantage of helping buy that rate down. And last week, I understand you locked in a buyer with an interest rate, at least at the outset in the threes. People listening to this are going to say, that's not humanly possible. True or false, Jordan Flowers, and how? True. So as referenced in the past, we are taking advantage of these temporary buy-downs in the market. What we're doing is taking that seller credit and getting enough to offer the ability to temporarily buy down an interest rate from, say, the start rates are in the mid-sixes, upper sixes, and get them starting at 3% the first year and elevates to 4 and then 5 and then the note rate. But with Within those first year or two with rates will come down, they then can refinance into that long-term secured fixed rate. All right. So what am I paying attention to if I'm a buyer or seller? What numbers as they come out over the next weeks and months? 
Yeah, uh, two key markers to be watching is the CPI numbers coming out because the last year's CPI number will fall off, which it was a monster in March last year. If we get a lower reading this year, that will then be indicating inflation is coming down, which will be great for long-term mortgage-backed securities. And then keep an eye on the 10-year treasury. If we can get that 10-year treasury number down to about 3.2, 3.25, it's going to be an excellent time for anybody that has purchased in the last year to look to refinance and lower that interest rate as well. And if you're looking to refinance, if you're looking to lower that interest rate as well as he says, you're going to call first Jordan Flowers and his team at Cross Country Mortgage. Phone number? 425-890-2957. Jordan Flowers, the Woodenville office of Cross Country Mortgage. Great, great partner of Mitch Unfiltered. Unfiltered. swing of Barnes. Swing and a miss for strike three. Kirby, a couple of punch outs. Oh, it doesn't matter that it's spring training. The week is upon us. Let's go. Opening day, Major League Baseball, Thursday, Luis Castillo and Shane Bieber. One last freebie Mariners no table. Until we go to the patrons, I promise we're going to the patrons after this episode. Jason Churchill, host of Baseball Things, and he's got a lot of interesting things coming up this week. Joe Doyle, Overslot, Prospects Live, Church. There's nothing quite like opening day Major League Baseball in sports. And over the years that I've been here, it's funny how often the Mariners typically start on the road. But this time around... They got a good team and they're starting off at home. Yeah, it's fun. I, I've been been teasing just about everybody I talk to about baseball and the Mariners this uh, this winter that, it, yeah, I'm excited for opening day. And it is one of those things like you see the decorations, you start seeing, you see Kevin Martinez on Twitter and like teasing out some of the things they're doing. They're having the cool, uh, the cool thing on Wednesday. But for me, this is almost mo- mostly and more about can we just get this winter over with? This has been the longest winter. And, and I don't think it's because of a lack of activity. I think it's because we we got a taste of how fun the stretch drive can be in September. You, you get Cal Raleigh, you know, walking off the winter to end the drought. And then you experience the postseason, even some excitement in winning the wildcard series. And then you have to wait. And, and for me, that's been the hard part. See, I'm ready to get this going. Joe, when was the last time... We were this excited. Mariners fans were this excited about opening day. I don't remember what I felt like in 96 when all those guys came back and Alex Rodriguez was in his first full year. I don't remember what I felt like in 2002, which was the year after they won 116 games. But I know what I feel like now, Joe. I'm really excited to be a Mariners fan, and I'm a negative Nelly. So if I'm excited, then everybody must be excited. Yeah, I mean, it's probably been a decade. I mean, probably since the season that Robinson Cano was wearing the compass on his hat for the first time. I I think that's probably where you have to go back. And I have to echo Jason's point. 
this last season, 2022, was just the beginning of what should be a prolonged success era for the Seattle Mariners, and it's going to test the fans. We really haven't seen in this town, I think, maybe ever for this organization with with great expectations for a team comes great responsibility for them to deliver. No longer can we go into the season saying, boy, if we can just be at 500 on August 1st, anything could happen. No, right now it's game on. Right. And that's going to stress some people out. So we're on the precipice of opening day. Let's get into the lineup or what the lineup should be on Thursday when the Mariners face Shane Bieber. Let's start with the most talked about guy. In the Mariners system this spring, the starting left fielder, he'll remain nameless. Where will he be batting on opening day? Where should he be batting on opening day? And this is a big enough topic. I'll give both of you a shot at this. Jason, you're first. Yeah, I think you start and you keep the pressure off of Jared Kelnick and you don't ask him to do anything that you wouldn't ask a rookie to do. I know he's not technically a rookie anymore, but keep the pressure off him. Keep him comfortable. I think somewhere, you know, probably seven, I guess, maybe eight, depending on exactly how else you're going to, where you're going to put JP Crawford, where you're going to put, uh, we're probably going to see Julio and Colton Wong at the top in, in some order, in one order or the other. It's a right-hander with Shane Bieber on the mound for Cleveland. Yeah, I would think seven, eight, maybe even nine right. for Jared Kelnick, but I'd be okay with any of that. I, for me, lineups aren't really all that important. Just make the guys comfortable and get your best hitters as many plate appearances as you possibly can. I think that those are the two most important things. So I think that's probably about what we're going to say. Joe, you don't need me to point out that as he hit in spring, he started batting second. I think there were a couple of games there that he was hitting third, you don't think that that's going to kind of seep into opening day, do you? He'll go back to seven, eight, nine, somewhere in there. Yeah, definitely. I mean, th- those were intra squad games. Those were half starters, half bench guys. I, they just put the best guys, the starters at the top to get them the most at bats that they can before the sixth inning rolls around. But yeah, I think seven, eighth in the lineup. I think that makes the most sense. Take all of the pressure off Jared Kelnick. And then, you know, you can really just do what you want with the lineup in, in terms of handedness there at the bottom. Probably against him batting ninth just because I'm more of an on-base percentage fan there at the bottom. But yeah, it really doesn't matter. Just get the kid comfortable. So how would you set the lineup? Yeah, me personally, I would I would lead off with Colton Wong. I'd like a guy just to have the ability to potentially see Julio Rodriguez get some RBI opportunities in the first inning. So I would go Wong. I would go Julio second. Ty France would be my number three hitter. I'd go Teoscar Hernandez at four. Cal Raleigh at five to give you a little bit of a a handedness advantage there. Suarez would bat six for me. And then I would go some combination of Jared Kelnick, AJ Pollock, uh, or, or JP Crawford in, in that order. Church, where do you agree? Where do you disagree? Yeah, I think the only place that I disagree, and it doesn't really matter that much. I'm just not a big believer that flipping this guy from five to four or this guy from three to five makes that big of a difference. I think I would just put, I would flip France and Teoscar Hernandez from that and put Teo at three and Ty France at four. And that's probably the only change I would make. But, you know, we could see some of that tinkering from night to night as well. I just think opening night, you know, just you, you throw one out there, you see what happens, you mix it up, you mix up handedness, you mix up speed, you mix up, you know, power and contact, and, and you just kind of see how it develops over the course of the season. And we are going to see more players play on a more regular basis, provided that they're healthy. Dylan Moore is a big part of um, kind of what I've been calling the usage clause this uh, this offseason. They're going to use their bench a little bit more strategically and a little bit more strictly. And we might see 
we might see a, a pattern with AJ Pollock. We might see a pattern with how they use Colton Wong, where he bats against lefties, where he bats against righties. When does he sit and who starts for him? Things of that nature. Everybody has to be healthy for that to work, though. Yeah, I want to add one other thing there with the, with the Jared Kelnick narrative. I, I think he having as much success as he did this spring, which granted, you know, it was 12 to 14 at bats, maybe a little bit more, maybe a little bit less. You get my point. Seattle has some decisions to make here in April. AJ Pollock is supposed to get the regular at bats against left-handed pitching. Tom Murphy absolutely annihilated the baseball this this spring against left-handed pitching after missing essentially the entire year last year. But with what Jared Kelnick showed in spring, you kind of have to ask yourself, well, do we at least give this kid a shot in April to kind of establish himself as a viable option against left-handed pitching as well. They have to do that. I think you owe it to your kids to do that. Jared Kelnick didn't struggle against lefties last year and the year before he struggled period. He was awful against everybody. And there was really nothing when he was coming up through the minors that suggested he was going to be bad against lefties. You never really know what happens until you get into the upper minors until you get into the big leagues, but there was nothing down there saying, Hey, this is probably a platoon guy. Everybody thought he was going to be an everyday guy. Sure. Torch righties manage against lefties. I think they have to give him the opportunity to do that. And to be honest with you, despite the fact that Colton Wong really struggled against lefties last year, and he's more of a veteran, I think they have to give him the opportunity to bounce back there as well. Anybody have a problem with Luis Castillo starting opening day? Uh, he would have been my choice. And do we care? Does it matter who then follows and the order where all these guys pitch uh, every five days? Joe? No, I mean, it doesn't really bother bother me. You got a you got a righty and you got a lefty and both of them are making nine figures on their contract. So one of them has to start opening day at the top. If, if you ask me, and I think Luis Castillo has the best stuff in the Mariners rotation. And I think that's, uh, you know, you traded all those assets for him. That's why you use him. Yeah, I'm there too. I, I just think that's the guy you go with right now. Robbie Ray struggled a little bit last year, at least relative to his Cy Young season before the Mariners brought him in. You go with Castillo. He's your energy guy. He's the guy at the top. He's the guy with the best stuff. And if he has the season, they think he's going to have, you're talking about a four win guy, a guy that's a legitimate top of the rotation guy that can go toe to toe sometimes, even with the Garrett Coles of the world. Now, Robbie Ray at his best can do that as well. And we've seen that from him. I just think you start with Castillo. You balance things out just like you do the lineup. Yes. You have a couple of lefties in there now. That's probably the best way to mix it up. At the end of the day, the only thing that I would be paying attention to here is, again, just like the lineup, you want your Teos and your Julios and your and your Ty Francis to get most Those of the at-bats. Bats. You want to make sure that the Robbie Rays and the Luis Castillos and the George Kirby's and the Logan Gilbert's get as many starts as they can within reason. You do still have to worry about George Kirby a little bit with the workload. You don't want to ask too much of him too soon, but we should see that loosen this year versus a year ago as well. So him being in the five spot, I think is still about managing his workload a little bit. Joe, um, lots of great numbers, offensive numbers, this exhibition season. I don't know how important they are how much to read into them. Same thing goes on the flip side. How much do we read into guys who struggled? J.P. Crawford, for an example. 185, Joe, during the spring. Do we care? Does that worry us at all? I, I don't think you you can care about any one single particular player's struggles at all. I, I, he could have gone 0 for 24, and I don't think it would have mattered. I think... There are legitimate concerns within this organization about what happens next if J.P. Crawford is as brittle as he has shown himself to be this spring. I mean, there's been a couple of different things now that have kept him off the field. And I just don't know what this team's plan would be if he 
if he misses an extended period of time at the beginning of the season with Dylan Moore still still a little bit beaten up. So no, but in terms of in terms of his performance, 185, 145, 111, it doesn't matter, I, it doesn't matter at all. No, it, it you know he he could he could hit 500 this year. He could be Babe Ruth. Anything worry you, Church, about the spring performances? Wong didn't do much. Pollock didn't hit a home run the entire spring. Does any of it matter? No, it doesn't to me. You look at spring training with Ty France hit what, like 212 with no power in, in, in spring training? Like, who cares? Do we really think Ty France is anything near a 212 hitter with no power? Of course we don't. These are very small samples in games these players know don't really matter. It is about health. It is about reps and it is about their process. And this is one of the things I've been talking about quite a bit. It's really important. I know we're dealing with like the JP Crawford thing has the foot thing. He had the soggy arm. You have to pay attention to those things. I get that that matters. And Dylan Moore legitimately hurt, miss a little time here is real, but everybody else is on time and on schedule. That stands out to me. That rotation is ready to be deployed eight or nine deep. Exactly the way the Mariners want that to happen. That bullpen is ready to be deployed exactly the way the Mariners would like it to be. Everybody got their work in like the performance, you know, uh, Ty France hitting 212, JP Crawford, not hitting guys. I mean, if you're going to, if you're going to put value in a small sample of 30 at bats, I mean, Ty France is what, like 33 at bats this spring then we should also put the same and more probably twice as much, three times as much into, Hey, this guy struggled the first three weeks of the season, but you know what I'm worried about with JP Crawford? The fact that he was one of the worst regulars in all of baseball starting in May last year, he started off really hot. And then about a week or two into May, he was awful the rest of the way. That is a large, meaningful regular season sample that I do care about with JP Crawford at the plate. Both of you get a shot at this one. Surprises on the roster. Joe, start with you. Yeah, you know, I'll, I'll kind of preface this with one of my biggest disappointments from this spring was the injury to Cade Marlowe. I really wanted to see what he was going to be able to provide over, you know, 25, 30, 35 plate appearances this spring. I think he deserves a chance, but it really did kind of open the door for Cooper Hummel. I think Cooper Hummel has really taken advantage of the opportunities that he's had this spring. Uh, that's ta- you know you're talking about a guy there that hit 300. He slugged 730. He had four homers. He stole a base, and he's got the positional versatility that this organization has coveted from the time that Jerry Depoto stepped foot in into the organization. You know, eight nine years ago. So Cooper Hummel is is the guy that I'm most excited for. The kind of the biggest surprise for me, and with the uh, attrition of of Taylor Trammell and and Cade Marlowe, I think he's going to get a, a realistic shot to get some plate appearances here early in the season. Give us a sense of how they're going to use him. You know, I don't think we're going to see him behind the plate as much as he was kind of advertised this winter. I think he's going to be a guy that gives you uh, gives you some plate appearances in left field. He gives you some plate appearances in right field, maybe some DH. I do think he's a good enough runner to be a late inning substitution or late inning defensive replacement if you do need to get like a Tom Murphy in at bat in the eighth inning. And I think that's what you're going to get from him. Uh, if there are any more uh, injuries along the way. Maybe you see a little bit more of an expanded role, but he's shown that he can handle big league pitching and uh, we'll see whether or not he, you know, starts once a week or if he's a pinch hitter or, you know, if he's even on the roster on May 1st. I don't know if it's a surprise, but I really like that we're seeing different approaches from that starting rotation. We can talk all we want about, yeah, this guy added a cutter, this guy added a splitter. Like, whatever. We'll see if that lasts into the regular season. Some of that's not going to last. We are not. We may not see some of these guys throw those new pitches at all this regular season or very much at all. We, or it may be up and down. They may start with it, and then it might fade. But here's what I do like. Robbie Ray's throwing a slider in the strike zone. We didn't see that much the last couple of years. Uh, we're seeing Logan Gilbert throw his curveball in the strike zone. 
which is a, a little bit of a different approach. Like there's been so many, like you watch Logan Gilbert in 2021 and even a lot in 2022, he's burying his slider and his curveball in the dirt because he doesn't want to hang it. And I understand that. I, you don't want to hang those pitches, especially a curveball. It gives that hitter so much time to adjust to, and those just get hit 500 feet. Right. But if, if Logan Gilbert's going to be able to throw competitive sliders consistently and competitive curveballs consistently and make those hitters honor that pitch in the strike zone, and the same thing with Robbie Ray. He's been mostly a Randy Johnson approach, 93 to 96 with a fastball bury that slider at the back foot of the righty and fading away from the lefty. If he's going to start throwing that in the strike zone at 90 miles an hour, now those hitters have to think, hey, if I see that slider with two strikes, I can't just lay off it. It's not necessarily out of the strike zone. So even those hitters that can read it, I just think that different approach and just having these pitchers kind of take control of their entire careers, really, that's not, I don't want to say that's brand new, but we don't see that every year. And you don't see that with every pitcher. I think that's a really cool thing that's going on in this organization. Right Jason, now. we've been saying for years that Jerry DePoto builds a great bullpen. Jerry DePoto always builds a great bullpen. It's the one thing I don't worry about. Same goes this year. You don't Absolutely. worry about it. Yeah. And that doesn't mean that like Penn Murphy doesn't fall backwards a little bit or Paul Seawall doesn't fall off the cliff or it means they'll figure it out. The, like they'll figure it out. Like he did it in, in, in Anaheim with the angels. Uh, he's done it in Seattle, what, two or three years in a row. It's gotten better during the season in 2018. Then they took the break and they, they, they tore it down 2020. They started to build it back up. The bullpen was really good in 2021. It was really good last year. I expect it to be good again this year. There's upside this year with that bullpen too. How good can Andres Munoz be? If that fastball has more value because he's throwing a two seamer and a four seamer, and that, that pitch got hit a little bit last year to keep keep guys off that slider. All of a sudden, Andres Munoz maybe takes a step forward. What's the step forward look like for Matt Brash this year if he can throw enough strikes? Pretty nasty stuff. Can he keep it in the zone? Can he entice hitters to swing over the top of that stuff a little bit more this year? There's some upside there. And I think Matt Festa is one of the more underrated arms in that bullpen right now, too, to help make up for the loss of Eric Swanson. So, yeah, I believe in this organization keeping the bullpen competitive or better, if not top five, top 10, they're going to be competitive and, and kind of buy themselves time to go out and add to it if they need to. And they really haven't had to do that during the season the last couple of years, but that option's there as well. Yeah, I'm, I'm totally with Jason on this. I think when you look at the Seattle Mariners and Jerry DePoto and the communication style that that organization has set forth, it's from the top all the way down to low A, all the way down to the instructional leagues. They know how to analytically prepare these players with their best weapons and how to attack hitters. And I think even if you see players regress, I think a great example of this last year is Diego Castillo. Diego Castillo, stuff-wise, had the worst year of his career. All of his all of his pitches took a step backwards. His velo took a step backwards. His 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 uh, physique took a step backwards. All of that didn't it, it didn't derail his season. He was still able to compete and use what he had in his arsenal. And I think that's what Seattle does best. If you have like a Justin Topa, Justin Topa joins this organization as a guy with huge, huge stuff. And I think if there's one organization that can really peel back the layers and say, you know, you haven't seen much big league success with this sinker slider combo. This is what we want to tinker. This is what we can change. And this is how we can turn you into a Dustin May coming out of the bullpen. I think that's what Seattle does best. It might not be that they have the most talented arms in the in the league Granted, Matt Brash is probably one of the most talented arms in the entire league. But what they do is they extract every little bit of 
positive traits from analytics that they can from every player. And I think what that allows them to do is really just buoy at worst in the top half of the league in terms of bullpen performance. Let's get into some predictions. I can't let you guys off of the hook here. There's only one chance, one chance left for me to ask you a couple of questions for you guys to stick your neck out. So let's so go. Do, do I just say it? Do you want me to say it, Joe? Or do you want to say World Series champs? No. <laughs> no. Yeah. You don't mean that. How many? Not, not really. Not how many really. How many wins? I'm going to go 92. I think they do have 95, 96 win upside. A lot of things have to go right. It starts with Jared Kelnick and obviously starts with health. And then it starts with Jared Kelnick from a, from a production and performance standpoint. I do think even with Kelnick hitting at a reasonable level, average or slightly above average, there's still a bat short, even in that case. And they'll probably have to go out and get it. But I think Kelnick hitting motivates Jerry DePoto and Justin Hollander to go out and actually make that move because they'll have confidence. It's going to matter in October. So wild card I think 92 one? is my best. I, I think I, I think ninety two could compete for the division, but I think ultimately it is the wild card, one of the top couple of wild cards. Yeah, I'm a little bit more cautiously. Uh, we'll wait and see. I, I'm I've got him at eighty nine wins, and that's what the roster has currently constructed. I know that's not a sexy number, and I know it's kind of a middle of the road number, and I'm totally okay with that. I'm interested to see how Seattle deals with now having to play every single team in the league for a team that already had an immense travel schedule it got a little bit longer and the you know you don't have the luxury of getting to play Oakland 19 times and the uh-huh. Angels who you feasted on the second half of every season 19 times so Although I think they may do the Astros neither true do the Astros, I, but I'm not, I'm not necessarily I'm not necessarily looking inside of the division I'm more so looking at the the entire scope of things so I do think the Astros are going to take a step back I've got the Astros at all 96 97 wins I do still think Seattle is six or seven games back of that as currently constructed but as as Jason mentioned if Jared Kelnick is 80 percent of what he's done this spring he's a four-win player he's a potential all-star and Seattle automatically jumps you know four or five wins I said this on Jason's podcast last week ho, Jared ho, Kelnick ho, will ho, be ho. On Jason's, Whoa. you were a guest on Jason's <laughs> podcast last He's week. He's trying to burn that podcast honey, down. Honey, can you go to the mailbox <laughs> and see if I got an invitation for any podcast called Baseball <laughs> Things? Anything from Baseball Things. Go ahead. Jason, don't give Mitch the gate code. Do not give Mitch the gate code. No, listen, Mitch, this is what's going to happen, man. It's going to go one of two ways. Jared Kelnick will either be a zero war player, which is essentially what he has been the last couple of years, or he will be a three and a half or more win player. I just don't see him being a middling big league regular. Either the talent will hit or it will not. One of those two. What does 89 wins do for them? Wild card number two? Wild card, wild number, card number one. I still think it's wild card, card number one. Really? The reason I say that, okay. the AL East is going to cannibalize itself like it does every single year. And one of okay. these teams that we think is going to be good, it's going to end up being bad. And the AL Central is, you know, the entire conference or the entire division is middling. So you never really have to worry about one of those teams cracking the 90 win mark. Pin the numbers on the on the hitter. You get two guys. We're going to give you two guys. Give me the final numbers of Julio Rodriguez and give me the final numbers of Jared Kelnick. Uh, Let's start with Kelnick. I'm going to go 220. Do you want just average homers? Yeah. Is that kind of what you're looking for here? Yeah. I'm going to go 220. 23 homers for Jared Kelnick. 
And, and I, I think I would be satisfied with that. Uh, although to be honest with you, I think that's the middling big leaguer yeah, that, Jer- that, that Joe was, was just talking about. I, was, I think yeah. it's more of a two and a half win guy, but I think we're going to see some inconsistencies at some point, And then maybe he takes off like, like I think he might start off fast and then struggle for a little while. And then we start wondering and then he finds his little groove and then he sits there right around 220, 225 the rest of the way. But the power, that's an easy one to project. He gets, he gets 500 or more plate appearances. He's hitting at least 20 home runs. That's just the way it's going to be. So, so that's where I am with, with, uh, with Kelnick, with Julio. Uh, I think he's a little bit better than last year, but I don't know that he's a lot better than that. He was awfully good last year. So he set the bar really high. I'm going to go 280, which is actually a couple of points lower than he put last year. I think the on-base percentage is going to be a little bit higher. He was about 345 last year. I'm going to say he's around 360 this year and about 33 to 35 home runs. Imagine if he had an April last year. Yeah. Would have been I think Jason is I think Jason's right on. I, I do I'm gonna give Julio a little bit of the benefit of the doubt, but I don't think it really matters. I've got him at 285. I've got him hitting 28 home runs again. I, I actually don't think he's gonna steal uh, 25 bases. I think they're gonna kind of rein him back a little bit in that totally regard. Agree there. Yeah. But the strikeouts I think are gonna come down. The on base percentage is gonna go up. So when you kind of look at this baseball card by by you know war or OPS at the end of the season, I think it's gonna look a lot better than it has this year. For Kelnick, I've got him for me significantly better than what Jason has him. I've got him like 232, 233 with 26 home runs. And I think he's gonna play a really solid corner outfield for this team, especially if he ends up in right field for any reason. So yeah, Jared Kelnick, I, and I do think that makes him a, a three-win player. So last question for the boys. This is the last Mariners note table for the freebies out there on Monday shows. We're going to the patron shows after this throughout the regular season for the Mariners. We'll do it weekly. All right, last question, and it's just kind of an overall starting pitching question, prediction. They've got four, four starters that I think if you closed your eyes, you could actually visualize any of them in the Cy Young conversation in the American League. At the end of the year, rank the four best to worst I love this question. This is a great question, Mitch. I'll start. Okay. I'll start. Uh, Best, I'm going to go with Luis Castillo because, frankly, he has outlier stuff. And as long as he's throwing strikes, I don't think he's going to have any trouble missing bats and avoiding big uh, big innings. Two, I think, is George Kirby. I think as long as he doesn't fall victim to fatigue and and seeing that big workload last year just kind of take over for him. The extremely impressive command and the, you know, feel for four or five pitches. I think the upside and listen, this guy's also this is a scouting term that I love using. He's still extremely projectable, like he's still a string bean, long limbs, high waist. Uh, I think he's only going to get better from here. Three, I'll say Robbie Ray. I do think he's going to take a step in the right direction this year. Uh, I do think if he if he can work in that two seamer and a splitter, uh, he probably does buoy as a number three starter. I'll say that Logan Gilbert is probably the one guy out of that group that I do have a little bit of concerns about just because if you've never been a split finger thrower, it's a really hard pitch to learn and it's a really hard pitch to gain feel for over the course of like a month and a half. You know, if he's still just this fastball slider guy and granted, they're both very strong pitches. I do wonder how much longer those two pitches can survive without the league catching up to him a little bit. Still think he's going to be at worst, a very good number four, but that would be my order. I think I would actually go with the same order, but I have a caveat about Robbie Ray. He's been dirty this spring. 
Like, don't look at the stats. I don't care what the stats look like. If you've watched any of those starts, righties aren't picking up the fastball. He's 95. Lefties aren't picking up the fastball. He's 95. He's throwing the slider. He's not throwing the two seam anymore. So he's throwing the slider. Apparently, he has a splitter that he's throwing occasionally. We'll see how that works out. But he's again, like I said a little bit ago, he's throwing the slider a little bit differently. He's actually throwing it away to right-handed batters to maybe try to steal strikes early in counts. Again, little things like that can make a big difference, but it comes down to with Robbie Ray. We've seen him as a two-pitch guy win the Cy Young and be almost a four-win guy. I think he's going to get the majority of the way back to that. And so I think Castillo, Kirby, Ray, but I think Kirby and Ray are really, really close. And then pretty Come clearly, on. I do think they're close. I, I, I'm going on. Kirby to the order. Change I'm going the order. Kirby too, but That's Ray, why I got invited to the podcast, the Mitch. You guys can thing. disagree every once. Hang you don't on. have to agree. Hang on. Here's what I disagree. It doesn't have to be a mutual admiration society. If Robbie everyone. Ray ended up being the number one guy this year, I would not be surprised. He has been so unbelievable this spring. So call Let me give you. Let me give you a hot take, Mitch. I'll give you one. I'll put Logan Gilbert five. Give me Bryce Miller as the fourth most valuable pitcher on this team this season. And I will take that wager against you every day of the week and twice on game day. Well, nobody didn't say I wasn't that, brave, Jason. That's not Joe, happening in 2023. Joe, Joe's down on Logan Gilbert. No, I'm just up on Bryce Miller. <laughs> it's high on Bryce Miller. Yeah, I do think that's well, I, mean, I totally got, get that. It's going to take a Logan, time But he's got Logan that, Gilbert at number five. Five. Yeah. And he's questioning yeah. the split. But finger. I'm not saying he's a number five starter. I'm yeah. saying I okay. think Bryce Miller is a okay. definitive number three starter. And yes. I just think that then Logan Gilbert slots in as a four. Tell us what's coming up on baseball things. All the things that I'm not invited to. I want you to list them right <laughs> off the right off the bat here. Tell us what's I'll coming up. You, you got, I'll leave you the gate code. You can Joe said no, but I'll leave you the gay code. Uh, we got Monday night. Uh, we're going to have a live Zoom chat. Joe's actually going to oh. join me for that. We're gonna we're gonna hang oh, out. Joe's with some, gonna Joe's gonna join gonna, you for that. I some all star and okay. up subscribers. So we got different see. levels uh, of Patreon subscribers. So all star and up be able to join us. Check for that. to see if I got a Zoom <laughs> invitation from Monday night. Um, yeah, that'd be fun. Actually, let's do yeah. that. Yeah. Uh, uh, the the fun thing I'm looking to, to get back doing, we're going to do that on opening night, is doing a, a live post-game show uh, after the game uh, on uh, on opening night. Uh, okay. We're going to pick and choose the times we do that. Opening night is as good a time as any. Win or lose, we're going to do a live post-game show there and talk about what we just watched. Beautiful. You guys are the best, except for the lack of invitations. He's Joe Doyle. Uh, you can follow him on Twitter, see him all over the place, podcast as well. And Jason Churchill's got a number of different projects he works on, of course, no invitations in the mail, but I'm working on it. I'm working on him. I'm going to have him on so many times on Mitch Unfiltered. But by the time we get to about midseason, the all-star break, he'll be worn down and he'll just give in and say, come on, Mitch. Come on, Mitch, and join us. Uh, yeah, it's the Mariners no table. And we're going to the patron side of things uh, as the season starts. We'll be there weekly, the three of us together, talking about hopefully a very successful Mariners season. Jason Churchill, thank you, Jason. You got it. And Joe Doyle, thank you, Joe. All right, Mitch. Hey, look who it is. Lindsey Schwartz, Daniel's Broiler, my favorite place for special occasions. How's everything going over there at Daniel's, Lindsey? Hey, Mitch, it's going great. Month of February, Valentine's Day, of course. Super busy night for us. Great month for us. We're excited for February. You know, it's award season in the NFL, and I thought, let's give out some awards to the Daniel's Broiler menu. Are you ready to humor me on this? Let's do it. Okay. Geno Smith was recently 
named the comeback player of the year in the National Football League. Is there a comeback item of the year at Daniels Broiler? You know, I love it. I love it, Mitch. There actually is, believe it or not. No, there clearly is. Okay. And it's it's the oysters on the half shell. It's the raw oysters. It was uh, Daniels staple for years. Very popular item. And during the pandemic, it was harder to get. You know, we were open for a while, closed for a while, open for a while. It, it was just too difficult to manage. And uh, we missed it. And we finally brought them back this past year. Of course, has been a huge hit, a uh, huge comeback. Comeback player of the year, for sure. Raw oysters on the half shell, the comeback player of the year at Daniels. Now, we've got two great rookies on the Seahawks, Tariq Woolen, Ken Walker, and others. Is there a rookie of the year, a newer item on your menu that gets acclaim? Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, let's go with the Piedmontese filet, imported from Italy. It's grass-fed, a little bit different texture than what you're used to, and and really delicious. One of my favorites. Gotta be the rookie of the year. And then there's the biggest of the big, the most prestigious award, the MVP, the most valuable player, or in your case, the MVI, the most valuable item on the Daniels Broiler menu, and it goes to which one? I mean, we gotta go with the old standby. We gotta go with the number one selling thing on the menu. We're a steakhouse. We're known for steaks, and the best seller is the filet mignon. It comes in two sizes, the 8-ounce, the 12-ounce. Can't beat it. It, it. It's the goat. It's the Tom Brady of Daniel's broiler, and uh, I just don't know how anything else could be the MVP. The ribeye doesn't compete, huh? I mean, they're all good. I got nothing bad to say about any of them, but you asked me for the MVP. I, I Like I said, I, I gotta go with the goat. The filet mignon is the MVP. The rookie of the year is the Piedmontese, and raw oysters on the half shell. The comeback item of the year at Daniel's Broiler, a world-class steakhouse. Unfiltered. Now a two-on-one developing. It's Veneer. Waits for the trailer. Give it go. Score. A two-on-one turned into a three-on-two. Perfect execution by Seattle. Making contributions. Here's a steal made by McCann, and he buries it to the top corner. Six to two. Has had the roof cave in here in the third period. Well, episode 232 continues with a new feature I was super excited to introduce here on the free show and then migrate over to patrons only. And while I'm still nervous and excited to debut the Kraken No Table, I do so with a really heavy heart and thoughts of a friend. Andy Ide has been a constant proponent and champion of Northwest hockey from the Thunderbirds to the Kraken. He's been a friend of this show the last few years and was going to be the centerpiece of this note table. But Andy suffered a medical emergency two Saturdays ago while covering the team we all love and is in a fight for his life as we record this first edition. I'm super indebted to R.J. Eskinos of Emerald City Hockey and Darren Brown, a host of the Sound of Hockey podcast, for holding down the fort. Darren Uh, Good to meet you. Inform our listeners about Andy's condition and then maybe graduate to more detail about his role in Northwest hockey, if you don't mind. 
Yeah, sounds good. Uh, well, thanks. Uh, first off, Mitch, for for giving me the opportunity and for having me on. So yeah, I, I've been working with Andy on the Sound of Hockey podcast for a long time. He's been writing for us. RJ's here with us as well. We both kind of witnessed it all shake out, which was pretty tough to witness. Uh, Andy's a, a good friend and truly one of the nicest people you'll ever meet in the entire world. Just not a mean bone in his body. Um, he collapsed just before the anthem started for the Edmonton game last Saturday. He got taken out by paramedics. Uh, he still as of today is in ICU, um, but there's kind of some hope. Little progress is happening here and there. They have him off oxygen. They have him off uh, breathing tubes, things like that. The hope is that he'll be able to leave ICU within a, the next few days here, but definitely a, a difficult thing to witness. Um, I will say personally, if this had to happen anywhere, having it happen at a Kraken game at Clamp Pledge Arena with paramedics. I mean, they were there within seconds of it happening. So um, I think that gives him a good fighting chance. And, and we're all hoping that he'll get back on his feet here sometime in the relative near future. But he's, he's definitely got a long road ahead of him. RJ, tell everybody in our audience who might not know about Andy I, maybe they're not hockey fans, his role in Northwest hockey over the years here. Man, I mean, he's he's just been an absolute staple in in the Seattle and Pacific Northwest hockey scene. I mean, just been around forever before I was born. Even I mean, oh, I'd wow. say I feel like I'm not as qualified to talk <laughs> about it, just because I mean, he was doing this stuff before I was even on this earth. So yeah, yeah. yeah it's it's been a privilege to get to know him and, and to see him at, at work. And like Darren said, I mean, there's there's just not a, I mean bone in his body. He's just one of the nicest, kindest people that I've ever met. And um, you know, th- for him to think of me too with this. I know he was going to do this no table with you. And, yeah. and, you know, he approached me one day and he said, RJ, you know, would you like to do this with me? And, and that he just kind of thought of me for something like that. It shows, you know, how thoughtful he is. And I'm, I'm just grateful for this. And, you know, I was really hoping to do this with him and hopefully, you know, someday. one, one day we'll be able to someday. And yeah, you're stuck with yeah. me instead. <laughs> and me. We're, we're we'll we'll manage. Me instead. And, and Mitch, if I can just add one more thing to on, on that front, you know, we've had this incredible outpouring of support from the hockey community, both just kind words, thoughts about Andy and monetary donations to his GoFundMe, um, which I think are going to go a long way in helping with his, his medical bills. But I also think he could probably still use some more help. So if your listeners want to throw some money towards sure. him and his family to help with that, um, they can just go to andyide.com which is A-N-D-Y-E-I-D-E.com. That'll redirect to his GoFundMe. Um, I know that's that's going a long way. And again, the, the outpouring has been unbelievable. So everybody who has donated and just said nice things about Andy, uh, I can't thank you all enough. And so Darren, you, you know as well as I do that if Andy were up and about and listening to this, He'd be like screaming at the podcast. Enough's enough about me. Come on, <laughs> guys. That's true. We want to talk yeah. cracking crack hockey. 40, 24, and 8 exploded for seven goals in Nashville after losing to them a couple of nights earlier. It's been kind of a bit of a roller coaster for them since the all-star break. It really has. And and it's, I mean, it's been a little bit of a roller coaster all season long. You know, they've, they've been up and down in every sense of the word, but their ups have been really, really high. They've had a couple months this season where they've hardly lost in the entire month. Um, but then they go through stretches where they, they can't seem to beat teams like San Jose who are fighting for bottom spot in the league. Um, 
Um, so I don't know exactly what that is. I think every team goes through ebbs and flows. I think to your point, since the all-star break, they've, they've been without Andre Burakovsky, which I think has been a huge piece. And that does coincide with exiting the all-star break. Um, I think that's been a big piece of it. I just think that hurts their depth a lot. And we'll probably talk about that a little bit more here as we go, but as they get to the playoff stretch here, and if they get into the playoffs for me, it's all about which Kraken team shows up, right? Yeah. Is it the, the one that's on the hot streak or is yeah. it the one that's on the cold streak? RJ Darren just used the word if um, they're currently, <laughs> currently, as I read it, fighting for that third spot in the Pacific division. If they fall out of that for our hockey fans, maybe you don't know, they would be in the wild card spot, 10 games to go. Would you call them fairly comfortable at this stage or are they in a tenuous spot, RJ? I'd call them pretty comfortable as far as making the playoffs is concerned. I think the odds are, are well north of 90%. It oh. would take a pretty epic collapse for them to miss the playoffs at this point. It's really just going for that third Pacific spot uh, versus that first wild card. I think the wild card spot is probably more likely, um, but it's certainly not. The math shows that you can still make uh, that third Pacific spot. And yeah, we'll see where they do. What's the difference, Darren, between... The third spot, it would be a matchup with Los Angeles if they finish third, the second team in that division, or if they drop into the wild card and their number one wild card, they'd play the worst of the two division winners. How do you see that? Is there any advantage or disadvantage to the Kraken in that regard? I mean, not really. They've kind of beaten everybody and they've kind of lost everybody yes. in the in the West, right? I think the only team I wouldn't want to see them play is a team that's out of the playoffs in Calgary. For some reason, they, they don't really? match up well with of Calgary course. at all. They've, they've just gotten... Uh, it hasn't been good. Um, and, you know, they've beaten Edmonton even a couple, I think at least once or twice this season. Um, but then also they've gotten lit up by Edmonton once or twice. So it's it's hard to say. Again, it's it's what for me, it's what cycle is the team in at that time? Right. Are they the hot team? Are they getting good goaltending, um, which has been a, a big question mark for them? Do they have everybody healthy? Right. You know, I mean, right now they have everybody in except for Burakovsky. Um, can they keep that going and hopefully get him back too before the playoffs? So, God. A, a guy like me who doesn't know the game very well would tend to look at something like this. I'd like for both of you to share an opinion about something that looks really strange to me. At right. home, 16, 15, and 4. Everybody knows about the exuberance here for hockey. They get sold-out crowds every night. The place is typically very electric and very exciting and a good home ice advantage. And yet, 16, 15, and 4 at home – and then an incredible 24, 9, and 4 on the road. Is that just a crazy situation and there's really no explanation to it? RJ, you sh take your shot first. Why are they so much better on the road than they are at home? Now, this has definitely been much debated in, in media circles, I think, over the course of this season. And, and it's a trend that's just continued all the way through. Um if you ask the players and coaches about it, you know, they, they won't give you a whole lot uh, at, you know, as far as what reasons they, they might have for why it's happening. I tend to think that it's just that routine of being on the road, being focused on only hockey and, and kind of that camaraderie that it builds and just everyone being in that mindset and focused. Whereas at home, I, you know, I don't want to say necessarily distractions, but you've got other stuff going on. You know, you're, you're spending time with your family, you're, you're doing other things. And I think there's a comfort to just going on the road and having hockey be the only focus. And you do see that when, when you talk to the players, it's, it's reflected. They, they have this comfort level about going on the road. Yeah. I think that's a fantastic point there about the, the, you know, being able to focus, I guess, when you're on the road. I think that's the reason when you when you see a team come back from a successful road trip and we saw it when they had that historic seven yeah. game trip yeah. that they swept, they came back and immediately lost that next game back. And it was like, 
Yep. I, and I think everybody in there and their brother knew that that loss was coming at home. Right. And there's there's something about that. You get back to your own bed. I think you just kind of take it easy a little bit and then you you think you can just go out and, and use that crowd to power you through. And it doesn't always work. So I, I guess that's what it is. It's it's hard, though. I mean, that's a that's definitely a rarity in hockey to be worse because there's the matchup side, too. Right. You get better, better matchups on the ice, even at home where you get last change on, on face offs. That's supposed to be a huge advantage. So they should be winning more at home than they are on the road. Is it a good thing or a bad thing come playoff time? Because on one, I guess it depends on how you tilt your head. In one respect, my goodness, they'll have all the confidence in the world that they got to go win some some road playoff games. But you also got to win. You got to defend the home ice, Darren. So is this going to help or hurt? Playoff? Yeah, I mean, shouldn't shouldn't that be an easier problem to fix the yeah. home ice? Yeah. You know, like yeah. if if you're winning in one of those yeah. places, I yeah. think the the road is the harder spot to do it historically. So also, I mean, when you think about their their situation in the standings, they're not going to have home ice advantage here any way you shake it, at least in the in the beginning. So um, I would think that. With that in mind, they're probably better off having a better road record. Theoretically, you can you can fix that problem and figure out how to how to win at home easier than you can on the road. Guys, RJ, the progress from year one to year two has been incredible. I'd like to get both of your opinions on this. Who gets more credit in the leap from year one to year two? The coach? for the maneuvering that Hackstall's done, moving guys to different lines, or the GM in terms of the personnel that's now on this team as opposed to where it was last year. RJ, you get the first shot at that. All right. Well, I think they both deserve you know, a lot of no, credit. No, done with that. Done with that. I'll go with the GM. I'll go with Ron Francis there. Okay. Decisive right. answer. Why? Because if you look at this team at the end of last season, it, it was kind of stripped down. There wasn't a whole lot left by the end of the season as far as goal scoring. That was the big thing. And you look at some of the additions that Ron Francis has made. Just about everybody to a man has worked out perfectly. Andre Burakovsky, you know, bringing in a ton of scoring in the depth additions. Ellie Tolvin in midseason off of waivers, which was huge. Um, you know, and the fourth line too, bringing back Ryan Donato, Daniel Sprong to a, a tryout. But, you know, he worked really hard and earned a full time roster spot and he's doing well. And then on defense too, Justin Schultz bringing him in and then Martin Jones in goal. I, he's not doing so hot right now, but he was good at the time of year he needed to be. It feels like every offseason move has panned out perfectly. So I'd give credit to Ron Francis. All right. So because you went, I can't just like say all the same things. So I'll go with Hackstall. Why not? Really? Well, no, I mean, I, I agree with everything that RJ just said. That's I no think fun. All the, That's no I, fun. Exactly. Exactly. So for that reason, I'll, I'll go the other way. Okay. Um, no, I mean, Hackstall, I don't think he's gotten nearly enough credit, though. I think people were so hard on him last season. Fire the coach. Fire the coach. Yeah. That was all we saw on Twitter was this is all Hackstall's fault. I don't think it was. I think their personnel just wasn't there last year, you know, and when Tanev got hurt, when Schwartz got hurt, they had nobody that could score goals last year. They weren't getting goaltending. That's a lot of problems to deal with in the first season. And plus, by the way, they're starting a new franchise in the middle of a pandemic with all these restrictions and can't get to know each other. One thing that blew me away about that team last season, though, is we got past the trade deadline and those guys never quit. Right. They had traded away every 
asset that they had of value to get draft picks in. They never quit every single game. They'd, they'd fight to the bitter end. And that kind of uh, culture has carried over into this season. And I think that's all Dave Hextall. So I give him a ton of credit. Does for he, this turnaround. does he get uh, coach of the year consideration in the league or are there too, just too many other great teams, Boston and so forth, where there's no way he could win it? Yeah, I think he should. I think he absolutely should, but all the projections towards who's going to win the Jack Adams, I, he doesn't seem to be getting any love in those uh, conversations. I do think Montgomery and Boston probably has it locked up, but um, yeah, I, I think he should be at least in the conversation. Talk about some specific moves, Darren. We'll start with you that he made in Nashville. You talked about changing some people, changing some lines up, tinkering a little bit to try to best find the the right combination. Yeah, it's been tough since, uh, you know, I talked about Burakovsky going out of the lineup. I think he's had a little bit of a hard time finding the right mix to replace him on the second line with Jaden Schwartz and Alex Wenberg. He's tried a lot of different things. He tried uh, Jesper Froden. He tried Brandon Tanev. Uh, at one point, he had Oliver Bjorkstrand there, which to me, that was the, the best that that line has looked since uh, Burakovsky has gone out. But by moving Bjorkstrand in, then he broke up his third line with Yanni Gordon, Ellie Tolvin, and that's been so good. So, so he put them back together. Finally, against Nashville, he gave Morgan Geeky a try on the wing, which Geeky is traditionally a center and one of their best faceoff men. So that was a little bit risky to me, but I really liked that move. I thought that that was that was the the play, right? You can keep the third line together that you like so much. You get a little bit more offensive skill on the wing than uh, Jesper Froden. Um, and then your fourth line obviously showed it again on Saturday, just how good it can be even with Geeky off the line. So um, I liked that mix a lot. I kind to hope they stick with that moving forward. RJ, you threw accolades at Francis, the GM, the difference in personnel. One of the biggest differences is they might have the rookie of the year in the NHL playing this year in Matty Beneers. Can you talk a little bit more about this great young player out of Michigan? Will he win rookie of the year and the difference that he has made on the team this year? I think he certainly has to be front runner for, for rookie of the year at this point. He just scored his 20th goal and 50th point uh, on the same play last game against Nashville. And really he is kind of the future star player for the Seattle Kraken. And it's been interesting watching his ride this rookie season because he's had some ups and downs as you'd expect any rookie to have uh, in their first season. Um, and it, that's to be expected when you're playing a full 82 game season for the first time in your career. But overall uh, he's looked so impressive and, and the defense, side of his game, the little things that you notice when you've been watching hockey for a long time. I mean, it's something I, I would love to, you know, ask Andy about all the little nuances of his game that you get, you know, for, from watching for so long. But the defensive side of his game has always been good. But it seems like the production has kind of gone as the team has gone. And it seems like he might be ramping that up again now. Darren, as we finish our first edition of the crack and note table and we uh, we think about Andy Ide. How about setting up the week, the next week for the Kraken, their schedule, what they're trying. They've got 10 games left, and you made an, an interesting point, and really the point that you made goes for all sports. How are you playing come playoff time is maybe more important than who you play in the first round. That works for the NFL. That works for baseball. That works for basketball and, of course, hockey. How are the Kraken playing and how healthy are they rather than who's on the other side of the ice. Talk about that. Yeah, I mean, they have an interesting mix of teams coming up. They have Minnesota on Monday. I guess I don't know when this is going to to post. That'll be a very tough, tough game. Um, then they have teams like Anaheim, Arizona, Vancouver, Chicago, teams that are very much out of the, the playoffs. But they have two games also against Vegas coming up, a game against Los Angeles. So there's some like in-division in rivalry kind of games coming up that I think will be good tests. Interestingly, a, a weird little quirk in the schedule there 
their last two games of the year, both against Vegas, who is um, it seems to be winning the division. So I think they're going to be in a pretty good spot, but it, you never really know, right? Who, which, uh, which Kraken team is going to show up this year. It's um, some games, some games they're, they're unbeatable. Like we saw on Saturday and some games, like we saw a couple weeks ago in San Jose, they're, right. they can't, can't beat a, a team that's totally out of it. So we'll R- see. RJ, are they good enough in goal to go deep into the playoffs? <laughs> I think uh, potentially. Philip Grubauer has shown flashes uh, of brilliance recently. Um, this is not last season's Philip Grubauer. He is much improved, and I think he's better than the numbers have showed this season. It's just kind of the team's style of play makes those numbers look a little bit worse, but it's going to be on him one way or the other. He's going to be the goalie to start the playoffs. Uh, you know, They're going to go as he goes, and I think he's shown in the past he's capable of, uh, of delivering some good performances. They're very big shoes to fill, Darren, but will you try to fill them? over the next uh, couple of weeks and months and and be back with us on Mitch Unfiltered? I would love to, yeah. Thank you so much for having me on. This has been a lot of fun, Mitch. That's great. The Kraken Note Table, where I don't know anything, but these guys know an awful lot. In fact, (laughs) half of the stuff they were talking about, I thought they were speaking in a foreign language, but I don't think they were. I'm going to go back and listen to it. It's the first ever Seattle Kraken Note Table on Mitch Unfiltered. RJ, thank you. Thanks for having me, Mitch. And Darren, great to meet you. Thank you. Yeah, nice to meet you as well, Mitch. Really appreciate you uh, having me on and uh, letting me uh, sub in for Andy here. We're all thinking of him. Time for another visit with Zeke's Pizza president, Dan Black. How are we doing, Dan? I'm doing good, Mitch. No nickname this time? No, 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 no. No nickname. I'm all business this time because the big dance is underway. It's hoops hysteria. And you guys at Zeke's actually have a special throughout the tournament at all locations on the app. Tell us, Dan. Yeah, we have a great special going. So the whole tournament, it's $10 off your order for all pickup and delivery orders when you order through the app. All you got to do is download the app at the App Store or Google Play, which is super easy. Do any pickup and delivery order. It's got to be over $20, and you can only use the code once a day. But the code that you use is HOOPS10. That's H-O-O-P-S-1-0. Yep. Use it as many times as you want. During the tournament, $10 off your order, any pickup or delivery order. That's incredible. So at all locations, if I order through the app during the NCAA tournament and I use Hoops10, my $40 order is 30 bucks. That's right. Wow. It's a good deal. It's a I'm using it for deal. sure a lot. <laughs> You're using it, which features the new app. And that's one of the reasons we're doing it. We love basketball. But the new Zeke's app is highly improved. Can you tell us? It's way improved, and we appreciate everybody being patient while we made this transition. But since this thing's been fully launched, the reviews on it are great, and it's never been easier or faster. It's super easy to get it on your phone, and ordering is super easy and fast. The customer experience is really good. Good. We have rewards for the first time. So every time you order from Zeke's, you're moving your way towards free pizza. So best way we've ever had to order for Zeke's. So we're proudly out there getting it into everybody's hands and on their phone. And the other excitement, Dan, is first ever out of state, out of the state of Washington location about to open. Yeah, we're going to open in Eagle, Idaho soon, which is a suburb of Boise. We're really excited. We have a great franchise partner down there. The community in Boise are super excited. We've been getting all kinds of write-ups down there. Nice. People know enough about Zeke's down there. They know that we're the Northwest pizza place. And so totally stoked. It's going to be really fun. First out of state, which is exciting. $10 off every order. Minimum $20. Every location, if you order through the app, all the way through the NCAA tournament's championship game, you've got to use the code hoops one zero. Download the new and improved Zeke's Pizza app, homegrown in the Northwest.
Unfiltered. Brooklyn Hicks just announced UNLV running Rebels. I mean, all that tradition, obviously a tradition of great athletes, great basketball. What what what, what, what kind of drew you to that UNLV? Yeah, um, I mean, UNLV's had a history of great basketball, winning basketball, so I really want to get into the program, be an early impact, and bring that back. So that's really something I'm excited for. Our next guest on this episode, 232, Mitch Unfiltered, recently took home the coveted Mr. Basketball Award. For the state of Washington, he's headed to UNLV. Going to be a running rebel. Timberline High School, Lacey, Washington, Brooklyn Hicks. How are you, Brooklyn? I'm great. How are you doing? Thanks for, I'm doing great. Thanks for being on the show. 6'3", 180-pound guard, 31 points per game your senior year. Threw in about eight and a half rebounds and four assists. That's quite a senior season. Yeah, it wasn't bad. Uh, not too many complaints on that. Start out strong with our league, um, finishing about, I think, 14-0. So heading into the playoffs on a strong note. Definitely didn't finish the season how we wanted to, but, you know, it was about the experience of the year and uh, all the goals that I wanted to break or uh, achieve and got them done. So no complaints on the year. Very nice. I'm going to come back to some of those goals. I got one problem with you, Brooklyn. One problem. Let me hear it. You know, when you when you go from three quarters court to win a game at the buzzer, you gotta knock that down. You can't you can't rim that out against Bellevue <laughs> in the state playoffs. You gotta knock oh, that you gotta knock that thing down. That one hurt because I, how often I shoot that shot at practices and just during workouts and I'd be making them too is the problem. So when I saw when I let go of it, I was for sure it was going in. I actually started to run towards the scores table to hop on hop on it. And then it just it hit the rim a little bit awkward and then rolled out. Oh, man. So that game was in the state playoffs, right? The state, yep. the state tournament. You were playing Bellevue High School, I think. You guys had lost a big lead, and you lost a lead, and they tied it right before regulation ended, and, yep. you, and you heaved one from your, your own free throw. The other three-point line. The other three-point line. My God. Can you imagine if that goes in and you win the game on that shot? Hey, honestly, I couldn't believe it didn't go in. I just <laughs> thought that should have been a fairy tale. That should have happened. <laughs> Do you want to tell everybody what happened in overtime of that game? No. You know, we could just leave it at the half court <laughs> shot. <man. laughs> a lot longer than half court. A lot longer than yeah. half court. So, so, Brooklyn, some great names have won the Mr. Basketball Award in Washington. Names like yep. Michael Dickerson and Donald Watts and Luke Ridnour and Spencer Hawes and Zach Levine and DeJounte Murray, Michael Porter. And what's maybe more impressive, Brooklyn, is all the guys who didn't win the award from the state of Washington that were great all-time players. Who did you admire growing up? You know what? Growing up uh, for high school basketball, I wasn't, I'm not a Washington head originally, so I didn't really pay attention to Washington basketball here until around eighth grade. And around that time for me, it was Michael Porter Jr. That was here to run the show. Mm -hmm. So um, watching Michael Porter Jr. Uh, the year of high school, uh, went to a lot more games for living in Lacey than probably expect. Um, so I would say Michael Porter Jr. definitely gave me the idea of taking over Washington basketball. I think that you broke Eric Stevenson's Thurston County career scoring record. Do you remember him playing ball? Yep, I do. I do. Um, I had a brother that played with him for years, so I got to catch a lot of those games. Very impressive score, very imp impressive player. Uh, me and him are pretty tight to this day. It's always good to break a friend's record so we could talk about it. So be honest about another friend. 
If I had asked you before you won the Mr. Basketball State of Washington Award, who was going to win it, Jalen Stewart or Brooklyn Hicks, what would you have said? That's my guy, but, you know, I feel like this year I really earned that one. <laughs> is he talking to you right now, or is he giving you the cold shoulder since you won the award? You know, we, no, we've been cool. We played in a game together just about a couple weeks, or shit, last week, and we played together um, in a little all-star game, and it's all it's all love at this point. He got the better of you in a, in a game in the tournament, right? Uh, yeah, we played them. Um, they, they definitely got us, for sure. <laughs> By the way, Jalen Stewart is the Garfield High school product who's going to UConn. We've got Brooklyn Hicks on the line. He's going to UNLV. You guys are rotary teammates. I'm wondering. Yep. I'm wondering what it's like to play outside the Seattle Metro League and watch all the guys that you grew up playing with and play AAU ball with. They get most of the tension, don't they? You know what? They do, but I definitely hold my own down here. And everybody in Seattle and everyone up north knows who I am, and they have respect on my name at this point. What do you say about Zoom Diallo? Tell us about that guy. Another non-Metro guy who's going to be in the top 10 in the nation in the class next year's class of 2024. He's a special player. You must know him pretty well. Oh, yeah, for sure. Uh, I've been playing against him since I was in the fourth grade. So, um, again, the hoop line, just it runs deep, small world. He definitely got it. He's definitely up next, and he's ready to take over the state again next year. What do you think? Where do you think he's headed? you have any guesses? If I had to throw it out there, I'd probably say he's going to be at Zach. Oh, no. See, I was worried you were going to say that. Really? He's going <laughs> to be a Zach. If I had to throw it out there, oh. I, have, I have no backstory or no reason for me to think that, but oh. if I had to put it out there, I would say it's Zach. Oh. So how did you get to UNLV? Kevin Kruger's the coach. I understand that yep. I understand there might have been some disagreement in the Hicks household about where the young man was going to go play college ball. Is that right? Uh, there was a little bit just for a moment. <laughs> <laughs> Give us the juicy story of the family over the dinner table. Academics is what it came down to. And uh, Rice uh, University out of Houston, Texas, offered great academic and great basketball opportunity. So um, I felt like that was definitely the biggest hiccup we had at the dinner table, <laughs> trying to figure out um, if I'm going to college just the hoop and a little bit of academics or focus mainly on my academics. And so at the end of the day, I said to my parents, just trust me, I got this one. Well, I chose UNLV instead of taking the academic right, route to Rice. You'll, you'll do just fine. What, yep. what, what's the story of University of Washington? They offered you, right, the, the UW and, yep. and Coach Hopkins. Was it was that never a real consideration for you? Oh, no, it definitely was. Um, I had a great relationship with Hopkins and Coach Conroy, still two to this day. Mm -hmm. um, but they had a couple other guards already in, in my spot, and I'm trying to play early as a freshman. So um, it just didn't work out mutually. But honestly, I have a great relationship with both of the coaches. And if I called them up, um, I could definitely have a full conversation with them. Do you think you're going to get a chance to play early at UNLV? I saw that a couple guys from this year's team transferred, including one of their best returning players, decided to go somewhere else. Yep, for sure. Um, I mean, I'm definitely going to have to go earn my opportunity, but it's definitely out there. Definitely possible. Um, and it's definitely a reason why I'm going to you know, UNLV to get that early opportunity. I read somewhere, and you just mentioned it, that you wrote down goals for yourself as a freshman, things that you wanted yep. to accomplish. Um, tell us some of those things that you wrote down, and I'm assuming you accomplished just about You didn't win a state championship. I don't know if you put that on the list, but uh, tell us what you put on the list and if you accomplished them. 
Um, I'm looking at the list right now. Uh, a couple of the things I put down, I wanted to be a three-time league MVP. Okay. Uh, I did accomplish that. Um, I wanted the 2,000 career points. I did get that. All area MVP got that. Um, I didn't get the McDonald's All-American nomination. That was on there. Oh. And then let's see, what was the other one? I had on here signed junior year, and I signed pretty close to my junior year. So, honestly, I capped off as many goals as I Pretty good. As I put on here. Pretty good. Yep. Did you have 50 plus in a game on that list? Because I, I see we're I, on January I uh, January 4th. You went for 51. I got to hear about that. Um, You know what? I couldn't have got that 51 without my teammates. Um, We realized halfway through the third quarter, I was at like 38. And I would count myself. I said, that's only like six layups. So let's just pass the ball up to me and get a couple layups real quick. Um, And teammates definitely helped me with that one. But getting to that point, the 38 points in the third quarter was it was a little bit of a hassle, um, but, you know, we got it done. <laughs> so as we finish up with Brooklyn Hicks, Mr. Basketball State of Washington, you're kind of underrated. I don't know if you would agree with that. Um, no, I, I would 100% agree with that one. <laughs> uh, I, and, and you're a 6'3 point guard who scores 30 a game, who rebounds, who passes, who's a great defensive player. You get your hands on the ball a lot. Can you put your finger on what it is about your game that doesn't have people putting you on the national, you know, the top, top, top national lists like sure. like uh, Diallo and some of the other guys? Um, honestly, there's nothing about my game that is, has a lack in it. Um, it's just some people go unseen and some people get seen. I'm just one of those kids that slipped under the radar. Um, I've played at every level of basketball and I've performed at every level of basketball. So I know I could be in, in any of those top rankings, but at this point, I'm going to college for free. I'm going to go play at the next level. I care less about these rankings. Right. I'm going to go prove everything wrong at the next level. What kind of percentage did you shoot from three this year, Brooklyn? Ooh, it was like, I think it was 31. 31. So that number could get better. No question about that. Oh, I mean, obviously there's room for improvement and all those type of numbers and the statistics. But, um, I mean, as my game as a whole, if you come watch me, you won't see any lack of anything. I see a guy who could jump out of the gym. I know that. There's no question about that. Yeah, that's me. What's your What's your vertical? Oh, geez. Last time I checked it, it was like two and a half years ago, and it was 38. 38 three um, and a half years ago. Wow. I, I, about two years ago, it was about 38. So I've been, I feel like I can jump higher than I could two years ago. So I'm going to throw it out there probably around 40 to 41. Yeah. Great job. Great, great career. Decorated career. At, uh, at Timberline, and listen, UNLV got themselves a hell of a player, and it sounds like I've never met you in person, but it sounds like they're getting a, a hell of a young guy, too, who's going to take his academics really seriously. I wish you nothing but the best. Don't forget all of us back here in Seattle when you become like a, <laughs> I won't. A, you know, an All-American and you're in the lottery someday and you're playing in the NBA with all those other Washingtonians. Listen, don't forget us back here, okay? I won't. This is home at this point for me, so uh, everything I do will be given back here. Thank you, Brooklyn. All the best to you at UNLV. We'll, we'll stay in touch, okay? All right, cool. Thank you. Hey, look who's back with us. It's Katie Versio, Director of Financial Planning, Evergreen Golf Call, in their new offices. How's everything going over there, Katie? We're all doing well, Mitch. Thanks for having me today. And I understand that we're going taxes on our pop quiz. That's right. So we are actually talking specifically today about the new proposed Washington State capital gains tax. Ah. In 2021, the state enacted a new tax on long-term capital gains 
vaccines that were effective starting 2022. Question number one for you is what percentage is that taxed? So if you have a capital gain, what percentage is it going to be taxed at from the state? Is it 3%, 5% or 7%? It's either 5 or 7 I'll go 5%, Katie. It's actually 7%. You're taxed at the federal level, either at 0%, 15%, or 20%, depending right. on your, your tax rate. But then additionally, Washington State will take another 7%. I don't like that. I don't like that news. What's question number two? The good news is that not all capital gains are subject to the 7% tax. Specifically, real estate is excluded from this. Right. So whether it's a personal residence or an investment property, you don't have to worry about the 7% at this point from that. Additionally, it's only if you have a specific dollar amount of capital gains. So if you make below this dollar amount in capital gains for a given year, you don't have to pay the 7% tax. But if it's above this amount, you are subject to that tax. What is that amount? Is it $100,000, $250,000 or $500,000? And this is additional to the federal tax that you'll be charged on capital gains. It's either 250 or 500. I'll go the big one, 500. Actually, 250000 So let's say you sold stock and you made $300,000 in 2022. $50,000 above the two fifty, that would be subject to the 7% tax. Understood. Which makes me 0 for 2. I have one last shot. Give me a true or false question, would you, Katie, please? <laughs> All right. I got you with number three here. All right. So right now, the state Supreme Court started hearing arguments just at the end of January of 2023 to determine if this tax is constitutional. So true or false, if you had capital gains in excess of $250,000 in 2022, you will not have to pay the tax until they determine if it's constitutional. Is that true or false? Well, that makes sense. That makes sense that you shouldn't have to pay it until we find out the ruling from the court. So I'm going to say true. Please tell me it's true. Unfortunately for you and for anyone that has gains above that $250,000, it's false. The courts uh, came out in the last few months and said, if you did have these gains, you will be subject to pay by April. There's a special website that you have to go to log this information. It seems like quite the cumbersome process here, and we're still figuring out what that all means for everyone in the state. So if you have questions about it or are curious if this applies to you, please reach out to us at Evergreen greengk.com to schedule a consultation and learn more. And of course, if it's ultimately ruled unconstitutional, Katie, you'll get that money back. That's right. Evergreengk.com. I don't want to mention that I was 0 for 3. Uh, I thought I was on a roll these last few quizzes. Don't forget Evergreen Golf Call, a terrific partner of Mitch Unfiltered. And once again, it's great to be joined by John Waterstrat, the owner of Fireside Home Solutions. Always a great sponsor, title sponsor of our Beat the Boys competition. John, how are you? Doing great, Mitch. Thanks for having me on. Another football season is in the books, and we know football season is synonymous with fireplaces and Fireside Home Solutions. But still, some cold and damp months ahead, John. Yep, there is definitely some cold, damp months ahead, and there's no better time to buy than these couple months. Uh, February seems to always 
have a little bit of rain and we're getting those cold weathers. Our, our lead times are down. We want you to get those products into your home and keep you nice and cozy and warm. And also we have some great discounts coming. Soup to nuts. What's the time frame now? So right about two weeks, installers are getting a little bit of our lead times down. So two weeks, we can get that product right into your house and no better time than now. Allow me, John, to ask you the question I asked our other partners. How was 2022 for Fireside? The good and the challenges. What would you say? Oh, if I look back on that, you know, stock definitely being one of those big issues that we had. But again, we, we were blessed with just great customers and being able to get those fireplaces in and be able to stock products that we needed to and people being patient with us and uh, really thankful to have a great year this year. So if you could snap your fingers and accomplish a few specific goals in 2023, besides your Seahawks winning the Super Bowl, what would they be for Fireside Home Solutions, John? Five star service to all our customers, but most importantly is keep our lead times down. You know, we want to be able to help as many customers as we can out there and lead times are important, you know, to get through customers, just like if you're at any kind of restaurant or anything, you want to be able to get to those customers as soon as possible. And like I said, I think stock will be better this coming year. We want to keep our lead times down so we can accomplish a lot next year. I can genuinely say that Mitch Unfiltered would not be where we are four and a half years later without our terrific sponsor, John Waterstrat and Fireside Home Solutions, literally the title sponsor of every audience contest that we do on the podcast. So begin your search for a new fireplace at firesidehomesolutions.com. Unfiltered. Episode 232. Hope you enjoyed the interview segments. This is the other stuff segment, Hot Shot Scott. The Memphis women's basketball player who socked an opponent in the face during a handshake following Watched the game. It. You did. Saw it, yeah. Well, she's hit, been hit with criminal charges. Uh, yeah, following their game in the women's NIT. She, the two had gotten into a verbal argument during the game, which led to her sucker punching the other woman in the face who crumpled to the court. You said you saw it. I mean, she was down. Yeah. You, you couldn't really see the punch that well. It was a little but, bit of a glancing blow, but yeah. yeah. Yeah, so it's still unclear what sparked the altercation. Police investigation is ongoing, the university said. Yes. God. How are you enjoying the Seahawks selfies? With all the quarterback prospects, have you been watching on Twitter? No. Every quarterback prospect in the first round of the draft, they've been going to visit with the entire staff, and they've got these series of selfies that they keep sending out to say, hey, hey, quarterback, quarterback. And they're they're just doing that for other teams. Is that is that all they're doing it for to make people think they're taking a quarterback? quarterback. Hey, we're with C.J. Stroud today. Oh boy, he's hey, our guy. Hey, we're with Bryce Young today. It's beautiful, the posturing. There's no way they're taking a quarterback, I don't right? think so. Yeah, I don't think so I don't so think there's either. any chance of taking a quarterback. But they're trying to tell everybody in the world <laughs> that they're visiting every single quarterback. I got a kick out of what I heard about the C.J. Stroud and Ohio State Pro Day. You know, every year, Ohio State's probably the most popular pro day or one of the most popular sure. pro days on the calendar because there's like 40 guys that are going to be in the NFL right. draft every year from Ohio State. It turns out that the story coming out of Ohio State's Pro Day this year, one of the stories, was that the best player in the entire Pro Day is not even coming out into the draft. He's ineligible to be drafted. He's too young. He'll be in the draft next year. But everybody's in love with him. Okay. And you know his name because you know you know his dad's name. You remember his dad very, very well. Okay. Marvin Harrison Jr. Oh, sure. Yeah is the wide receiver, sophomore, true sophomore wide receiver at Ohio State. So, therefore, 
He is too young and ineligible for the draft. But he happened to be at pro day to help the quarterbacks and, you know, run routes. Yeah, and they're all looking at him. And everybody's like, well, I'm, I'm serious. Here's what here's one scout to the athletic. Quote, I caught myself watching Marvin Harrison more than anybody today and not the guys I should have been watching. He's not pretty good. He's comically good. Wow. The momentum is already out there that this guy's going to be a top notch. And I was starting to think, would I trade the number five overall pick this year for just Marvin? I, I want Marvin Harrison Jr. <laughs> next year. With DK and Lockett? How would that be? Not too bad, huh? <laughs> it's, it's, it's like bringing your really handsome friend to the club with you. Like, he's getting all the attention. But wait a minute. What about – it was my idea to go to the club, and you're all yeah. looking at him. Yeah. He's ruining it for all the pros at Ohio State. <laughs> Marvin Harrison Jr. next year, a year from now, we'll be talking about him as one of the top players wow. picked. I don't know how often a wide receiver ever goes number one. Does a wide receiver ever go number That's one? A great question. I mean, you'd have to be so dominating that it would just be like – a and joke. it would have to be probably an off year in the other positions. Yeah. And again, we don't know who's throwing to him. I mean, I'm sure Ohio State's got three five-star quarterbacks sitting there, but they're losing theirs, right? So, you know, who knows? He might he might not have the year that everyone th- – but you're saying he's going to. He'll be returning kicks and punts, and they'll give him oh, I don't know about that, but I just know if that – If he's that good, they People should. watch him, and they're like mesmerized wow. by Marvin Harrison. His dad was pretty good. Syracuse guy? His yeah, dad? yeah. And they couldn't get his son. God, that hurts. Oh, that must sting. Holy shit. You could have had him. You At the same time, him. they're losing basketball players to Spokane, <laughs> That's Washington. right. <laughs> Can't even get a legacy to come to your school. Good Lord. All right. We, we once spoke on this podcast about why we think McDonald's Coke tastes better than every other fountain drink out there. or Every restaurant fountain yes, soda. Yes, it does. I swear on everything. Like three days after we talked about it, I saw an article that talks about why McDonald's Coke tastes the best ever. Do we know why? Well, somebody I, once told me, maybe it was you, that they have their own. It's different. Like Coca-Cola, they're the number one. They're the number one partner of the Coca-Cola well, company. I would assume so, yes. And so Coca-Cola does something different for them than they do for other clients. Did you say that to me or did I read that somewhere? Did you, somebody, you might have read it. A different dynamic, a different mixture, <sighs> a different syrup for mcdonald's than anybody else or am i making that up you're close okay there are 10 reasons i know we've bored the audience enough yes there's 10 reasons so fountain coke is mixed the moment they start pouring from the tap so due to this the carbonated water and syrup are stored and dispensed by the machine separately and only merge in the stream that fills your cup. I that's, could actually see that, yeah. That's one of the reasons, all right? Okay. Um, the size of the straw they talk about as oh, well. Oh, we've talked about the straw. It's yes. one of the great straws in straw history. It's the greatest straw in straw history. McDonald's makes a huge effort to standardize their syrup level measurements, strictly adhering to 40 grams of sugar per every small Coke. They're like, they're like militant about getting the exact really? right mixture. Now, that brings us to the third point, which revolves around all things ice. All right. The syrup to water ratio is so well thought out that it even accounts for melting ice really? with McDonald's going to great lengths to make sure their Coke meets a certain standard and that God, dilution won't affect the overall it flavor. Really There's good. 10 reasons why. Yeah. I get it. It is really good. Yeah. Yeah. They use steel storage tanks. That's another one. Now tell me about their French fries. Well, their because fries, their fries are better than everybody else's too. If you like that kind of a fry, I do. And they, I hate to say it because my wife's a vegetarian, but they were much better when they used animal fats back in like the eighties and nineties. They oh, now use vegetable that. oil. I did not know that. 
I mean, it, so when I was oh. making them in 1982 or 83, oh. I was <laughs> yes, I forgot you worked there. Yes, <laughs> when I was making them, we were using animal fat. And now they don't. Yes, now they don't. So they were even better. Was my point. They're they're good now, but they were even better. There at one was point. no better sound of the summer of 1982 hotshot. <laughs> Yeah. Then the sound of the beeper or the buzzer on oh. the fry machine to denote, okay, it's too late. You can't serve any of these fries anymore. They're now expired and outdated. So do what you want with them. That was the greatest Down sound. The hatch. Oh my God. <laughs> all of us would like, as soon as, as soon as we'd hear that buzzer go off, yeah. we'd all look at each other going, yeah, the best. Yeah. And we look over there and we'd hope that the bin was full of fries. Yeah. They don't do it that way anymore. Cause no? they, the sandwiches used to expire too. Oh, like, absolutely. You put a little marking on them. And I had to go take them out to the old dumpster and about four and a half of those and made I it into my good, gullet. <laughs> Before I got back in, <laughs> shoving Big Macs down. I don't care if they're spoiled. They're not God. spoiled. Yeah. So what do you mean they don't do that? You mean they don't have an expiration time clock, a limit on the French fries? We used to. So we maybe would, on the fries, but not on we'd the sandwiches. Fry, we, we, we'd have them in the fryer, right? And then you take the basket out and you shake the SS grease out. Then you throw them in that big silver bin. Sure, and you salt and then them. And you salt oh, them. Oh, yeah. And you mix them, you together, mix them together. And yeah. you had to press a button at that point, which started the timer. Now, a guy like me <laughs> yeah. might have touched the button a little early. Oh, gotcha, yeah. So that they would expire a little early. So those expired ones taste a little fresher than you might think, yeah. <laughs> and there was less time for people to come in and buy them, Yeah. right? Oh, of course. So yeah. you, know, you put them in, you put the salt in, you mix it all around, and then you press that. But you're telling me that they don't have an expert. I got to believe they have Maybe on the fries, but sandwiches, they used to like wrap them and put them in a heating bin, remember? We, yeah. That's why did. it was so fast. We slid them in there and then you put a number on them. I made them. You put yeah. a number. When you wrapped them, you, there was a grease pencil that you had a little number on them. Right. Like one o'clock or one thirty. Yeah, they don't something. do that anymore. No. I don't think. I don't think so. Probably too much waste. It would make sense. But yeah. I told you, one of my managers at the Issaquah McDonald's was, he went to the University of Miami of all places. Wow, well, he had a hell of a basketball team. <laughs> His name was Paul. I love the guy. I would love to see him these really? days. But I'll never forget. He We were so busy. He was so stressed out. He takes his hands, I might have told you this, and he's he pushes his hair back. Oh. And Poppy. then just continues popping the sandwich. Poppy from Seinfeld. <laughs> and some one of the customers. That's a Seinfeld show. Oh, is it? Oh, it's a famous Seinfeld show. This is like 1991. And one of the customers how, saw it and she complained that how I was do you not, not How do you not know Seinfeld? Well, you're not going to believe this, but I used to love sports so much. That's all I watched. So did I. I miss Seinfeld. I miss X-Files. I missed uh, Friends. Pick a show in the 90s. I just missed TV in the 90s. I don't know why. So the scene is Jerry Seinfeld, who was a germ. I guess he is a germ freak in real life. Oh, he is. Germ, germ freak in the show. Okay. Goes to a restaurant, a pizza parlor. Yeah. A pizza parlor where they're throwing the dough up. Yeah, in the I can air. do that, by the way. Yes. And then he's. He's in the bathroom. He finishes at the urinal. He's washing, scrubbing his hands. Yeah. All of a sudden, he hears from behind him the toilet flush in one of the, in one of the stalls. Yeah. And Poppy comes out, <laughs> the guy who throws the pizza oh, up. God. And he, he comes out, and he looks at himself in the mirror yeah. while Jerry's scrubbing. Jerry's watching him. He looks himself in the mirror, puts his hand in oh, his hair, God. and then walks out, never washes his hands. Back to throwing pies. And, yeah. then, and then Jerry has to go out and sit at the table, and there's this... There's his food that he knows. <laughs> and his, the, yeah. That's fun. Uh, I always wondered, like, I, I'm not really a germaphobe, but when those guys throw that, like, if it's a man who's got hairy arms, uh, the, the dough, like, sits on the I hair and he throws it and he keeps throwing it on the wrist hair. I'll never eat again. You want me to lose weight? <laughs> you're, uh, you're doing a good job. All right. All right. Congrats in order to the Seattle Mariners. 
even before they begin the 2023 campaign. Do you know why we're congratulating them? No. They were ranked number one, as it turns out, in two very important statistical categories in 2022. Okay. Would you like to take a guess? No, I would not. How about operating income, Hotshot? Oh. 2022, $84 million operating income, number one in Major League Baseball. How about year-over-year growth in the value of the value of the organization? Thank you, Julio. $2.2 billion now. The, the, wow. the team is worth $2.2 billion. So every time you hear that they're a small market team right, or a mid-market yeah, team that problem. doesn't have the cash, just remember, right. number one in operating income, number one in year-over-year year growth. And I'm sure the Mariners as an ownership group, John Stanton and so forth, are saying, is there any way that we could keep yeah. that from getting out. A little closer to the vest next time, maybe. <laughs> Can we not? Yeah. Do we not have to publish that? Yeah. Like his fans go, well, we couldn't get a shortstop. And you make all that. I can just hear him now, right? That's right. <laughs> couldn't That's afford right. a shortstop. That's but, uh, exactly right. Tom Brady, congratulations to him. He just became a part owner of the WNBA's Saw Las that. Vegas Aces. Saw that. His team, he says he first got hooked on him when he had a courtside seat as they beat Connecticut during a home game in May of 2022. Now, do you know he also owns a major league pickleball team did not know that released a state released a statement on the business venture saying i'm very excited to be part of the las vegas aces organization he's the master with words it was a great statement by him thank you tom <laughs> but yeah he owns a pro pickleball team as well he's getting into the we by the way do you know anyone that plays pickleball we need to address this i feel like everybody plays pickleball oh, except for me and me <laughs> oh my well, god i'm sick of hearing about pickleball i don't even know what pickleball is i, <laughs> I wish i didn't I can't take it anymore. <laughs> I can't take people in their effing pickleball. Stop. I don't want to play. I, I'm, I, it's like I was with Game of Thrones. I refused to watch. Everyone told me how good it was. I never saw it. Right. I, I'm never playing pickleball. We might be too much alike. I know. I think we kind of are that way. It's awful. Isn't it a better conversation if I love pickleball and you don't ever want to hear about it? Or now we're like, or I watch Game of Thrones <laughs> and you didn't watch Game of Thrones? We don't agree on a ton, but that kind of stuff we agree on. Like, just leave me alone. I don't want to be in your pickleball. It's a quad pickleball club. I'm I don't even know pickleball. I, honestly, it's it's like miniature tennis. Yes. Right. Yeah. With, Where they um, shorten the tennis and they use different kind of balls and different kinds of paddles and stuff like that. Pickleball. Yeah. The, the balls are closer to like a wiffle ball, but a, yeah. a little firmer. Yeah. And wooden. Why not just are, play tennis? What's the problem? Who are you asking? I don't play pickleball. <laughs> Have somebody on. If some of they were trying to make it the official sport of the state of Washington. Like, that was up, like, that wasn't going to happen. I'm moving. People are obsessed with pickleball. It's Is better. that going to happen? I'm I, moving. I think, I don't think it passed. I will not live in a state <laughs> I where can't. the official sport is pickleball. Just stop asking me What about is the pickleball? official sport now? That's a good question. I don't know. Maybe they don't have one. Maybe that's the problem. Yeah, I don't know. Los Angeles Chargers defensive lineman Sebastian Joseph Day, hotshot, claims he was sexually assaulted during a security screening at the airport. Okay. It was extremely unnecessary and dehumanizing, he says. I'm all for people doing their job well, but it was extremely unnecessary and dehumanizing. I travel a lot for personal and work reasons. I have never experienced anything like that at John Wayne International Airport. Wow, I love that airport. I have to second guess it now. He feels like he was sexually assaulted during a security screening. Does he go into details or can we just no. sort of do the math on the what math. that would mean? He was grabbed. Wow. He was groped. Have you ever felt anyone's been inappropriate with you at an airport? Or No, look at me. <laughs> That's true. Fair point. <laughs> Fine. I'll ask somebody tell Dark and Handsome. Never. You're right. 
<laughs> I agree with you. We're laughing, but if the guy feels violated, yeah, like yeah, I, yeah. I feel bad for him. If yeah, it's true, I, I mean, come on, terrible. man. I don't. Yeah. You shouldn't. Yeah, the fact that they can just put their hands on you, kind of at will. The way is, it is. Yeah, and I got a 14 year old daughter now that I travel with, and it's like, dude, no, no, no and no. No, she's going through that one and not that one. And yeah, it's a whole really? thing. You can do that. Yeah. She gets to go through like not the one where you put your hands up. You know, there's just like a little metal detector she gets to go through. Okay. Because, you know, she's 14. I don't want her to do the full body scan on her. And But anyway. they don't pat you down. You put your hands like this. Yeah. They, they don't pat you down, but I still don't want that. Yes. She's a kid. Yeah. You know, so anyway, yeah. I think uh, that you like the little booth. Yeah. yeah boom, you don't boom. like that. You don't like yeah, that. Yeah, I don't want that. Okay. No. Anyway, so yeah, I, right. I, that's never happened to me, but I feel sorry for him if he felt like that happened. Because you are helpless. What are you going to do? Punch a guy in the face? Yeah. You'll be handcuffed and, and pepper sprayed. You can't he mess says, around there. After I asked the gentleman to please stop because I'm uncomfortable and I feel that this part of the check is unnecessary. Wow. Then they told me that I was the problem and three TSA agents swarmed me See? at that point. That's what I'm saying. Like, you can't throw a fit. Yeah. You can't be indignant. You can't do anything. No, you got to be careful. You got to be careful. Yeah. You'll be in, next thing you know, you're in some back you room. No, you can't be a jokester. Like, oh, yeah. At all. No. No, you can't you mess be around. real serious. Yeah. yeah. That sucks, man. I feel sorry for him. Yeah. All right. Hillary and Chelsea Clinton. You familiar yeah. with them? Yes, I am. Well, they had a Broadway outing that turned into a real stinker last week. Because somebody pooped near them. You told me this. No, I didn't. Somebody else must have told you. I have not heard the story until I grabbed this it. This was on Unfiltered. I thought this was one of your jokes last week. No? No. Where did I hear this? I don't know. You do you 100 podcasts do... a week. Maybe I guess somebody, somebody else it. must have brought it up. Okay, well, then we don't need to no, go No, no, go ahead. It. Go ahead. I thought well, it was you who brought it up. The no. former first lady and first kid. In the attended... aisle, right nearby. Yeah, yeah. They, were, they were watching a production yeah, of Some Like It Hot in New yeah. York. And according to page six, staffers claim there was crap found with an eye shot at intermission, like human poop. Now, it sounds oh like it was in the same aisle that they were sitting. So it's unclear if they reacted or even noticed it. But page six says they stuck around for the second act. And Jeez, the, the doo-doo was cleaned up swiftly and without issue. But oh, as for the culprit, the outlet reports citing sources, it was an elderly person who let it blow. So, okay. Okay. as funny as it is, I mean, okay, if it's yeah. an elderly person, but another source says this is the fourth time this has happened in this theater. The fourth time. So this is either a thing or it's the same person who's gone to the, I don't no, know, who knows? Oh no, stop. Hopefully someone gets to the bottom of it at some point. I think they will. Does that count? No, it does not. Do you want the bell? That's bonus. bonus. Have, you, have you ever heard of the Superbook Sports? <laughs> Superbook Sports. I think it's an online wagering service. You know, you can wager online in most of the United States. Can't do it here in the state of Washington. Right, but you can drive in your car and go. Yes, make, you, you can. can blow yes, your whole can. life savings. Well, in like December, to. a man decided, you know what? I kind of like this little upstart team from Boca Raton, Florida. Okay. To make the final four. So I'm throwing 500 bucks on, on Florida Atlantic University to make the final four where he was offered 400 to one. Oh. He has just collected $200,000 on his $500 bet as Florida Atlantic University went to the final four. He saw them play in some, in some Christmas tournament and he's like, they're pretty good. I'm going to wow. 400 to one to make the final four. I'm going to yeah. put 500 bucks on that. He probably could have got 800 to one to win it. And they're yeah, only but, two wins but, away from that. But, but then he'll get nothing because they probably won't win it. Yeah. But in this case, he got 200 grand. If they win it, that, that's where his head will go. Even with the $200,000 win. <laughs> you know, like when you have a, you play, you get blackjack, you get yeah. I, I had 10 bucks out there. Why didn't I have a hundred? You know, you, that's how gamblers minds work. And before we get off of college basketball hotshot. Yes. Could you imagine? We're talking about Florida Atlantic. We're talking about UConn. We're talking about... Miami, right? Yeah. Could you imagine 
if a school made the Final Four 14 years in a row, forget the one year here or the one year there. Okay. 14 years in a row. Could you ever imagine that? Like no. UCLA. The UConn Husky women's basketball program is out. Oh. They are not making the Final Four this year. They lost in the Sweet 16 for the first time in 14 years. They made 14 wow. Final Fours in a row. One of the reasons I don't like Gino R.E.M. I can I can listen. He and the Weasel. I, I put him right in the you same. You can't place. put them together. Oh, Gino yeah, seems like, G- like a mensch. I like mensch? I like Gino. You haven't paid attention. Is that right? He's yeah. that he's he's no, that guy. No, he's insufferable. Is he really? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. I don't like Gino R.E.M. Fourteen straight Unreal. final fours. That's crazy. Just close your eyes and right. think of that. Every single year. How old's your daughter? She is fourteen now. She, Every year that she's been alive, they've been in the Final Four. <laughs> That's crazy. Until this year. This is the first time they're not. Ohio State beat them, I think, here in Seattle, by the way, in the regional, in the Sweet 16. Unreal. There you go. Wow. And Hotshot, here's one for you. Do you know the name Dale Lindsay? Mm, you probably familiar. don't. No, you shouldn't. Okay. Dale Lindsay is the outgoing head coach of the University of San Diego football. Outgoing head coach of the University of San Diego. Okay. A lovely statement he is finished now he's retiring he's 80 years old wow san diego announced the retirement of their longtime football coach they sent out a press release it was quite lovely it said quote coach Lindsay will retire from usd as one of the greatest head coaches in our university's proud history and one of the elite head coaches in college football it was beautiful the whole thing was orchestrated and mm-hmm. beautiful and the statement was beautiful but there's one problem okay the 80-year-old told the San Diego Union Tribune, I didn't fucking retire. <laughs> really? <laughs> wow. <laughs> All right. I was shown the door. Oh, God. And I would like to coach. That's my story, and I'm sticking with it. Lindsay said he was not given a reason for his dismissal, simply that he was told, Sir, you no longer work here. Goodbye. <laughs> wow. That's what he gets after all of his time there. Yes. You they, no longer work they here. They write a statement, a beautiful statement. Oh, Coach God. Lindsay's retiring. Yeah. He tells the local newspaper, <laughs> I did not fucking retire. I just hope I have half that fire when oh, I'm 80, right? God. He still wants to coach. He still wants to get up and go to work every day. And he doesn't like hearing the bullshit. No, no, no. He probably doesn't look at, suffer fools. Look at, look at USD trying to save face over right, no, no, right. no, no, no. People are going to know the real story. That's right, yeah. yeah. Good so, for him. Yeah. So he, but he's out. Like, that's not going to change anything. He's gone. No, no, he's gone. Is anyone going to add an 80-year-old as an assistant? I mean, is, it, is he just going to retire? I, I wonder love, what his next move is. I loved your face as I was reading the statement. You're like, yeah, that's yeah, pretty nice. That's and, then I was, and then I dropped the hammer <laughs> on you. Uh, uh, all right, 50 Cent. Yes. Now tell us his biggest hit. I can't, but I think I sent you this story, didn't you I did. not? You did. Yeah. In the club would probably be his biggest hit. You can find no me idea. in the club, bottle full of bub. He's no. mad, and he's, he's threatening lawsuits, or he did Well, he reached a, a settlement, a settlement to of a end a lawsuit in yeah. which he accused a Miami medical spa of falsely suggesting that he'd had penis surgery, yeah. according to court documents. Yeah. So he claims that this woman and her perfection plastic surgery graciously agreed to take take with her to imply that he was a client and more startling that he received penile enhancement surgery as part of this work. So he took a picture with her, thought she was a fan and she's using it for her business. Like, Hey, look who our clients are. This fella here needed penile enhancement (laughs) surgery. (laughs) He was like, no, no, I do not. And no, I did not. I, I may need it, but I didn't get it with you. 
Now, so, this might be too much information, but you know where I read that story before no, I sent God. it to you? No. In the waiting room. <laughs> In a waiting room? In their waiting room. <laughs> Understandable. <laughs> yes. And they didn't ask for your picture, did they? <laughs> God. Uh, Derek Wolf played nine seasons in the NFL as defensive end with the Denver Broncos and Baltimore Ravens before retiring after the 2021 season. Now retired, he admits to ingesting magic mushrooms and Adderall before every game. Every game. He said he needed the drugs to get in what he called rage mode. Wow. Magic mushrooms do that? I don't even know what magic mushrooms are. I know I don't like mushrooms. Oh, well, yeah. you. The would. other mushrooms. You definitely wouldn't like these either. Man. I wouldn't like these mushrooms. Yeah, I don't think you'd like the what effect is that? it has. What is on a you? magic mushroom? It's like a hallucinogen. Yeah. Makes you hallucinate. And it makes you mad. It makes you angry. I didn't know it made you rageful. I, I mean, know. I know Adderall's like an upper. Maybe it's a combination of those two things. Magic Maybe, mushrooms yeah. and Adderall, the combo yeah. makes you some Pro Bowl level linebacker. Now I know what I did wrong as a kid. That's right. Yeah. Who knew? Yeah, Adderall's used for, I think, ADHD. Yes, it is. It's an upper. People yes, think it, it makes is. them lose weight and it yeah. gets energy. I think and Richard Sherman get dinged for Adderall? Maybe. Somebody, somebody got Some defensive back of the Seahawks got done. Didn't they? Or am I wrong about that? Yeah, I feel like he did I test think it positive for that. Maybe. Somebody got suspended for Adderall. Yeah. I don't know who it was. It might have been him. Yeah. yeah. Anyway. Yeah. Wow, Matt, that doesn't, I don't know. Hallucinogen and football does not seem like it goes well together. I don't know. You, you, you guy across from me has got four arms. Like, who the <laughs> hell needs it? You know? I, Tackle the one in between. Yeah. I the think, middle exactly. one. Exactly. I think a lot could go wrong with football and hallucinogens. All right. Congratulations to Tyson Fury. Yes. His wife is pregnant with their seventh baby. Oh, geez. At what point? I mean, uh, <laughs> okay. okay. I'm sure people have big families out there that, at what point can you not pay a, give enough attention to seven? Is a child abuse at seven or eight? Or I, how can you? I, I have one, and I don't I'll give her enough attention. How can you give your attention you give to seven kids? You give her plenty of attention. I probably do, yes. Yeah. But if I had three, four, five, I know I couldn't. Anyway, that's crazy. Seven kids. Congratulations, His, <laughs> It's been a stirring tribute to him, yes. But he's got uh, kids ranging from one to 13. That's okay. a lot of range in Heavyweight that household. champion of the world. Nobody can beat him. I guess, yeah. He, and yet, when he takes his shirt off, you look at him and you go, yeah, who does like, he be? I, I, could, I, could, I, could, I could kick his ass. He better keep fighting with all those mouths yeah, to feed, yeah, man. He, he better get his ass back in the ring. All right, I got a couple last ones, and then okay. we can do your... I guess some RIPs or no? RIPs, but let me do a couple last ones first. Blue check mark. Are you a blue check mark guy on Twitter? Do you care? I care, but I don't care enough to pay for it. It's, it's all, all these people that have had them all these years because they are celebrities yeah. or whomever... They are going away starting April 1st this week. Oh, they are? Yep. Unless you pay. So it's pay only. Just pay like, only. There's no exceptions. Play on, pay only. I don't know what a check mark means if you pay for it. I don't well, know exactly what it means. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I don't know why you won't even want to check mark if you have to pay for it. And one of the unforeseen circumstances was people would create a fake like Pfizer account. Yes. And people weren't looking closely, but it had a blue check mark. So you go, oh, that must yeah. be Pfizer. Yeah. Insulin's now free. And then people are like, what? Insulin's free now. Like they would cause these huge, like, yeah, well, I get like that. stocks would go down because yeah. of this shit, because of yeah. the blue check mark. So what does the blue check mark mean now, except this guy paid $8 a month? That's it. You can have $96 a year. You can have four followers and have a blue check mark. I don't know. I don't get it. What does it do for you? Just a money grab for Twitter. I don't know. Yeah. Does nothing. I thought the system was fine. I don't know. I kind of liked it. Yeah. Because well, I got fooled by OJ one time, you know, so. I know you did. I need the blue check mark in my did. life, yeah. $96 for the year. Jane Fonda's mad. Wait, 96 Jane? for the year? Yeah, $8 a month, $96 for the yeah, year. Yeah, I think I'm in. That's a steal. <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> I know if, if everything's special, nothing's special, right? If everyone's well, I just I want to know what it denotes, except but yeah. except for the fact that the person paid ninety six dollars right. for it. That they possess ninety six dollars. That's all it denotes. They can come up with ninety six bucks, right? Yeah, that's it. I, I must be missing something. J- Jane Fonda is still mad at Jennifer Lopez. I didn't know she was mad, but okay. Yeah, because she never apologized. You ever heard of the movie Monster in Law yeah, from many I years saw ago? It. it was terrible. Apparently, there is a famous or infamous slapping scene where they slap each other back and forth. Okay. You must remember that scene. Mm, if you really. saw the movie. I saw it in the theater. It was awful. That's the standout scene of the show. Oh, it is. Okay. If you didn't see that, if you don't remember that scene, you didn't see the movie. <laughs> okay, fine. Thank God. There is a scene. I didn't see it. There's a scene where one of them slaps the other, then the other, and they go back and forth slapping each other. Well, apparently... On the last slap, J-Lo really let Jane Fonda have it. Wow. And she was wearing a big ring, and she sliced her face open. Really? Jane Fonda came up with a gash wow. from this slap. I don't know if she needed stitches or not, but she told Drew Barrymore, of course. Of course. Why would yeah. you tell anybody as, else? As one does. She never apologized. To this day, she never apologized to me huh. for splitting my face open but with a slap on screen. She is Jenny from the block. Don't forget. Don't, She's don't, Jenny from the block. Don't let that fur coat fool you. She will <laughs> slap your face with a ring on and cut you open. How many RIPs do you have? Well, I'm sure I got the same one you have. I least. have three. Okay, I have a couple. Okay. Nick's legend, Willis Reed. 80 years old, yes. So a little before my time. A little before my time, too, but tough as nails, Nick yeah. Center. Came out of the locker room, the famous incident in the middle of the, uh, I think it was the 1970 NBA championship series. It was, series, the finals, yeah. Where he was hurt and he came hobbling out, Willis Reed, and was, a young Marv Albert was on the call, Willis Reed is coming back oh, on the him, really? Madison Square Garden floor. <laughs> and, um, yeah, it was 3-3 three to three, the final. I mean, it was like, I think yeah, that was the last game. And he came out and helped yeah. him uh, win the championship. They won two championships in his uh, era as Knicks center and captain. He was 80 years, and he was a former coach, too. That's he also right. was a coach in the NBA. Yeah, he hit the he hit the first two shots for the Knicks. It was his only time he scored in the game. After he came uh, back, he hit the next two shots. Did he? That was it, yeah. I mean, people are calling him arguably the greatest Nick ever. No. So it's not arguable who the greatest Nick ever is. It's not him. <sighs> it's got to be Ewing, right? I like, mean, Yeah, I would think it's Ewing, even though Ewing never won a title. Right, yeah, yeah, so, yeah. So. All right, yeah. so another one. You're not going to know this name, but this story really bummed me out. Kaylee Scott, she was a transgender flight attendant famous for appearing in a United Airlines commercial. No, don't know. Well, she passed away. It appears to be a suicide. Uh. 25 years old. She was found dead Monday, the same Uh. day she posted on social media about planning to end her life. (sighs) The post was flooded with comments from concerned fans and... Her sister, Ashley, commented on the Instagram post confirming Kaylee's death. She famously shared her transition story in a 2020 United Airlines commercial for Trans Day of Visibility, thanking the airline for helping her 25 years Uh, old. Rest in peace to Kaylee. It's too bad. It's tough. Very tough. Very tough, yep. And then I have two high school athletes from Illinois. Okay. Do you have this? No, I just have two other fairly prominent people. Okay, well, these two were enjoying their spring break in Colorado. They were tragically killed in a horrific sledding accident over the weekend. Really? 17 and 18 years old. Sledding is how they go out. Yeah. So Basil and Fair are their last names. Both high school seniors played for Prairie Central's basketball and football teams. Basil had just been named to the AP All-State first team earlier this month. Fair, the other one, meanwhile, was a pro football or pro football, was a football team captain who had 1,400 yards rushing and 21 touchdowns this past season. Both... We're going to skyrocket, so you know, athletically and so young. Sledding. sledding. 
It's they one run thing into a tree or something. What do you do when you sl- you go off a cliff or something? So how do you die sledding? The Summit County Sheriff's Office said the crash happened at Copper Mountain Ski Resort uh, in Frisco at 8:35 on March 19th after their sled launched off of a massive snowbank yeah, at the yeah, bottom of a half yeah. pipe. So, Jesus, unreal. Like it's one thing if you're standing on the top on the hood of someone's car trying to do something stupid, right? I mean, they're just sledding. Hey, we're not even dreaming. I mean, we're we're not part. We're sledding. I mean, that's what you do when you're seven. And that's how they go out, man. So rest in peace to those two. That's really rough. Do you know the name of Oscar-nominated actor and comedian George Siegel? George Siegel sounds If you familiar. looked up George Siegel, you would definitely know him okay. if you looked at his picture. Go on. Yeah, 87 years old, passed away this week. He was uh, nominated for the movie Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf? Mm. He was a... A substitute for Johnny Carson on The Tonight Show. Oh, I, I recognize He him. was in The Goldbergs, a more recent comedy on television. Yeah. George Siegel passed away at 87. And then the other guy that I have is somebody I think I brought up on this show to you. I'm pretty sure it was to you, but now I'm, I'm having a senior moment. Okay. Did we talk about the San Francisco radio host, morning show host, who went missing and his wife said he's not coming back yeah. and he's been struggling? They found his body this week. Uh, Jeffrey Vandergrift is his name. Okay. Exactly my age, 55 years old, San Francisco morning show host. He had been struggling with Lyme disease and had a lot of health problems and was really down on himself. They found his body near Pier 39. Remember, he had gone missing. Everybody was looking for him. Yeah. And his wife was like, and you were asking questions. I didn't have the answer. It was like, we thank everybody for the love and support, but our information tells us he's not coming back. And that's all she said, remember? Right. And you it's were like, what does that, what's it? Yeah, you said yeah. it's cryptic. What does that mean? Yeah, yeah. Well, he passed away at the age of 55. They found his body at the pier, Ugh. at the wharf in San, in San Francisco. So she apparently knew that he was going to end it? I don't or, know. Yeah, I don't know I don't either. Ah, uh, it's too bad. Yeah. So, which brings us to headlines. That's right. <laughs> Let's joke around a little bit now. Nathan Firesheets. Yes. This guy visited all of Disney's 12 theme parks across oh. the globe in 12 days. I didn't even know they had 12 themes. 12 and 12. Paris, Tokyo, Anaheim. Okay. What's next for this? Orlando? Of course. He did them all. And he went on every ride. He said, too. Every single ride that was open, he went on 216 rides. Amazing, right? What's next for this dedicated Disney fan, you ask? Dying alone. (laughs) Two inmates in a Virginia jail. Not funny after our RIP segment. How can I? Yeah, yeah. You, how do you go there in the first joke after the? And I got to talk about a dog dying. I just heard him on the on the radio today again. You did? They're still running Casey Case some top forties. Oh, are they? Yeah. There's some on YouTube. I listen to it work sometimes. I I love hearing them. I, I what a voice. So great. The best. And now at number five. Go ahead. Best. Continue on. Two inmates in a Virginia jail used primitively made tools to create a hole in their wall of their cell and escaped only to be found hours later at an IHOP. The good news is, after tasting their food at IHOP, they realize, eh, prison food ain't so bad. The world's sexiest chess player... Oh! ...confesses to... I don't even play chess. ...confesses to revenge peeing on her ex-boyfriend's car. Revenge peeing on her ex-boyfriend's car. Yep. Yep. Is that a thing, revenge peeing? Turns out it is, I guess. I didn't know. All right, now I know. They're actually making a documentary about this incident, and it's titled On Golden Pawn. And finally, <laughs> wildlife officials are looking for a mountain lion. Very good, Hotshot. I swear I spent an hour on that. I couldn't come up with I knew there had to be something and there. who was the star of On Golden Pond? Oh. Who are the three stars? Uh, Henry Fonda. Yes. Uh, she's got the voice that's like this. Oh, I know. Yeah, am I not? Uh, Hepburn. 
Cat- my night and shining armor, <laughs> yes. Henry, and don't you forget it. Catherine Hepburn. That's right. And, and is Jane in it? Jane Fonda with the cut me. face. You go go back and look. <laughs> J Lo slashed her up. That's right. Even even before J Lo was ten. All right. And finally, Henry, wild you're my night and <laughs> wildlife officials are looking for a mountain lion that clawed a man's head while he was sitting and relaxing in a hot tub. Just came up and clawed the back of his head really? while he was taking a hot tub. Really? Luckily, I've never experienced anything like this, and I've spent some time in hot tubs with some cougars. Jeez. <laughs> I'd like to continue that. I actually saw a video today come across like Twitter or somewhere. Yeah. Of a guy. I don't know where this was, but it was kind of kind of neat. A guy that was on his knee with a professional camera, like one of those big lenses, and he was out in the wilderness. Okay. And he's obviously aiming at something. And all you see in the in the in the frame is him on his knee with the camera like on the ground and the oh and the lens. And a cheetah walks in. He's taking a picture. Walks right up to him. Puts like like Misty does to you. Came right up to him. Put put the head right in his lap and was like looking for just to get oh to get rubbed. Oh my gosh, I would. Can freak you believe out. that? No, I cannot. Those are cats cheetah, are cheetahs angry angry people. I mean people. <laughs> <laughs> are, che- are cheetahs angry animals? They eat meat. I know, but does that make them, do they walk around angry? I don't think animals typically walk around angry. I think they walk around hungry. Hungry. Right, which is the difference. So if they're hungry, Honest to God, and this was not a doctored video, this cheetah just walked right up to him like a dog would walk, like your best friend dog would walk up to you and put his head right in the guy's lap. Insane. I was like, come on, tickle me. And you're not outrunning it. No. (laughs) No. Usain Bolt ain't outrunning that cheetah, sadly. Yeah, you got no No, chance. No. Those big cats will take you down. No, no, no. Even DK Metcalf. No, no, no. no. He is not. No, 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 no. All right, that's it. I'll give you the next five reasons why Coke is the best at McDonald's on the next episode. I'll tease it. People (laughs) be on the edge of their seat. It's interesting that you said that the straw enhances the Coke. Well, the. Okay, the chain uses wider straws, as we've talked about. We talked wider about than that. any other fast food restaurant, which allows for bigger sips. Yes, this is so customers can let their beverage wash over their taste buds more efficiently. Okay, so that by that standard, if I were to get a whole bunch of McDonald's straws and bring them home, that my lemonade would taste better. Maybe that everything tastes better coming out of that straw. Yeah, I think that might be the case. Yeah, yeah, because they've. It's, I mean, this okay. is just good science right here. <laughs> it's just good science. What do you know about good science? <laughs> What I know is that this show sucked. (laughs) Episode 232 is in the books.